This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all sports radio station, 105.5 FM, WNSP, and on the Sound of Mobile app. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim, Lee Shervanian, and Michael Brauner. The opening kickoff. Here are Mark, Lee, and Michael. All right, here we go. A Monday morning quarterback edition of the opening kickoff, and I pretty much already know how this is going to go, but we're going to get through this together, Alabama fans. I know we will, because here we are for the next three hours here at Baumhauer's Victory Grill at the Shops of Bel Air. So come on by and see us when the doors open around 7-ish or so, 7.30. Complimentary beignets, complimentary coffee. Come on by and meet the one and only Lee Shervanian. we got a lot to get to today, Lee, so no better time than right now to get started. Yes, and we'll also uh, start up again with the Name It. Uh, we'll do that at 820-star qualifying. We had our first winner last Friday. So, let's see, eight <laughs> years, 128 consecutive weeks that Alabama appeared in the AP Top 10, and they dropped out to number 13 yesterday even though they defeated South Florida 17-3. to And that was the second longest consecutive streak of being in the top ten. We'd certainly like to hear from those who want to either call in or app in. Who would you like to see quarterback Alabama? Is it somebody that we haven't seen? Should they make a trade? I'm only kidding. Should they make a trade? <laughs> no, you can't do that. Who do you think? should be the quarterback that takes the first snap against Ole Miss on Saturday. And even though this past weekend wasn't a real, what I consider a blockbuster weekend of college football, next week is we have some outstanding matchups. We have Colorado and Oregon. We have Alabama and Ole Miss. Uh, obviously, in this state, uh, Auburn goes to Texas A&M. Notre Dame, Ohio State. So a lot to look forward to. Uh, very quickly, in the NFL, I think nine of the games were decided by single digits. He had two went into overtime with Seattle and Tennessee winning. In baseball, the Orioles and the Rays, they make the uh, postseason to go with the Braves and the Dodgers. So that kind of gives us a capsule of things we'll be talking about. But again, I know everybody wants to hear what we have to say about Alabama and South Florida. Alabama's just not good at football right now. I mean, that's really no other way to put it. They're just they're just not any good. I mean, we can sit here and Nick Saban get up there and talk about how their injuries along the offensive line, but the offensive line wasn't playing well when 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 those those guys weren't injured. So there's not a lot going on there. Penalties continue, continue to take points off the board. And listen, Tyler Buckner wasn't just not good. He was terrible. He was really bad. Like, I don't know if the moment was too big, if he was just too excited, but the ball wasn't coming out of his hand the right way. He just he wasn't throwing the ball well. Um, I think offensive coordinator and offensive play calling is a big issue. Um, too much pressure coming. I mean, go. you can go on and on and on. And to answer your question, the, the answer is Jalen Milrow. Yeah, that's who I would say, too. When you have an offensive line as leaky as that, all right, he's going to make mistakes, but he can also make a big play, which is something they're lacking. With on your subject of Buckner, he shouldn't. The, the moment shouldn't have been too big. He's played in bowl games before. He started many games for Notre Dame. He's had success at Notre Dame. He learned under that offensive coordinator, Tommy Reese, who's at Alabama. So you wouldn't think on paper 
that it should have been such a big deal. But what, they have two more touchdowns called back because of penalties. Yep. And again, it's very easy to blame the quarterbacking. And certainly the analyst of the game, RG3, certainly did, as he called the quarterbacking atrocious many times throughout the uh, broadcast. Uh, was I surprised that Jalen Milrow was not put back in? Yes, I was. With the fact that there were so many sacks. Well, Simpson, I think, was sacked five times or something like that. You would think that maybe let's go back to Jalen Milrow. And here's the other thing, Mark. Going into game four, there is no right now solution. There is no – you would think after three games that they would have this solved, this who is the quarterback going to be, we should be ready to take off. You know what's kind of interesting? You remember when Jay Coker uh, took over? Wasn't it the Ole Miss game? that solidified him as the uh, starting quarterback. And I could be wrong on that, but I thought it was the Ole Miss game where they had so much controversy about quarterbacking and so forth, and Jake had a really good game. So you hope that somebody will take the reins because now it gets tough. Now you got these SEC schools to play. Well, Tommy Reese is not doing these guys any favors. So obviously if you if the if the offensive line can't form a pocket for these guys to operate out of, then either move them out of the pocket, run some screens, you got to run something differently and it seems like we're just continuing to uh, put try to try to fit us, you know, a round peg in a square hole here. The off- and, and we talked about this while Jalen was the quarterback, you know, they're trying to put Jalen and his skill set in an offense that doesn't work. Well, now it looks like we have quarterbacks with this quote-unquote skill set for the offense, and it's still not working. So maybe it's time to tweak the offense a little bit and and, and build that around the quarterback play that you have because Jalen Milrow gives you the best uh, chance to win. I will say I think Ty Simpson showed some glimpses of, of promise. He needs reps, but going into SEC play is not the time to get him. Jalen Milrow... Is uh, is your best chance to win right now, and I'm not even necessarily saying that's a good chance to win, but he's clearly the guy. And why they didn't see that during the during the USF game is beyond me. Let me tell you something too: they are damn lucky that that game got delayed by lightning because they were on the ropes, and I'm not sure they would have seen the uh, they, they would have seen the light had they not gone in for an extended period on of time. On the show that I do from Dean Waits uh, on Friday, when word came out that Buckner and and I I didn't come on the air and and say you know say it but i in my mind i wanted I, I don't get it why are you taking out milrow yeah i threw some interceptions and so forth but is there somebody really better especially with what has happened with the offense and the offensive line and then what are you going to do to him mentally if you bench him you take him you take him out, and then you don't even put him back in the game against south florida chance to redeem himself so now you're going to throw him out to old miss yeah i think the one of the issues from our perspective is that we get so little information, right? So had 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 you and me and every every other college football fan out there known that Milrow was that far ahead of people, I think they would have calmed down about the Milrow is the problem against Texas talk. But because we don't see these guys, because they don't let us talk to these guys, because we don't get to see those guys, and they don't, and, and, the, and Nick Saban doesn't talk about them, they they made it sound like this was a really close quarterback competition. And based on what we saw yesterday, that is hardly the case. He now is Jalen Milrow to answer to winning? Maybe, maybe not. But he certainly uh, gives them the best chance. I don't, I don't know if there's any other way to say it. But move him out of the pocket, give him some run-pass options, but clearly he is the most talented of the guys. I was so 
distraught for Alabama fans watching Buckner play. I don't remember the last time I've seen a quarterback play that atrocious in Tuscaloosa. And one of my other points, and someone in the uh, in the app just said it, Proctor, Caden Proctor was getting beat like he stole something. Caden Proctor was terrible. They were beating him on bull rushes. They were beating him on speed. You name it, they were beating him. Someone in the app said Proctor might be the worst left tackle in the entire history of left tackles. That's saying something. But to go into South Florida, a team that, quite frankly, is not very good at all, and be in that type of situation with them uh, speaks volumes, not of South Florida, but of where this program is uh, this year under Nick Saban. Uh, not much I can add to that. that that's for sure. It was uh, disappointing, to say the least. And like I said, uh, if it was up to me, and I know it's easy to second guess, I wouldn't have benched Milrow. I would have kept going with him and if give him you know, chances to get better and better. Uh, if, if the offensive line is going to continue to uh, fall apart like that, he's the only guy I can see that can make something happen. Yeah, he'd probably make mistakes. Yeah, he'd probably throw a couple of interceptions or fumble the ball away. But what did the other guys do? They didn't do anything. Right. And to... And, and, again, I'm not saying it's all on them, you know, when you get sacked five times. But then, of course, when that's happening, Mark, make decisions. You know, go through your progressions, but make decisions and get rid of the ball faster. Uh, that wasn't the case with Ty Simpson. Yes, he did have the best throw of the game, that 45-yarder, which helped set up a touchdown. But let's face it, it was just too few and far between. It was pretty bad. But thank, thank goodness Roy, uh, Roydell Williams uh, was running the ball well. Yeah, and then on the other side, I mean, Kool-Aid did not have a good game at all. He had the special teams blunder. I don't know what the hell he was thinking trying to jump on that punt early. It wound up being a fumble. And then uh, Deontay Lawson, who's been a holy terror, jumps on fourth and six. Uh, they wound up ultimately getting the first down, South Florida did. Uh, Kool-Aid got the interception, offsetting penalties. It didn't count. I mean, it just it, it just continues to snowball for this team. Um there was a holding on the punt return for the touchdown. We mentioned points coming off the board again. Uh, and and Nick Saban coming in and talking about, well, we got injuries. and Man, nobody wants to hear that. Nobody, you're, you're the University of Alabama. You recruited a high clip. You got guys two and three deep. Next guy up. Let's go. It's South Florida. And to go in there and talk about, well, you know, uh, we just weren't at full strength. Come on, man. Like, I get there's a time to pat somebody on the butt, as he said, and kick somebody in the butt. He should have been kicking some ass at halftime and after the game. I'd be like I'd be like Kurt Russell in Miracle. Don't take them off, leave them on, get back out on the ice. Like, I would have had them running sprints after that game. That's how, that's how deplorable that game was. Yeah, and that pretty well sums it up. Uh, on the national scene, of course, the Colorado game was absolutely outstanding. I mean, as far as double overtime, uh, even though they lost Travis Hunter, who will not be available for the Oregon game. What an exciting game that was to come from behind, 98-yard drive. And then I'm going to put down as the, the second, to me, most impressive win was South Alabama. No question. Never saw that coming. To go to Oklahoma State, Oklahoma State was 2-0. Granted, they hadn't beaten anybody of consequence, but still, to go there and dominate like they did and to win. 33 to 7 over a power five only the second time in jag history they've beaten a power five team and to do it so convincingly i don't really know what to take away from the auburn game because they were taking on samford fcs not to put samford down but i just don't know how that's going to translate going to texas a&m well auburn fans first of all uh you gotta love the fact that peyton thorne was running the ball and running the ball well but i caution you fans 
of 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 Auburn to uh, take heed and remember what we were talking about with Alabama, right? So Alabama goes in Middle Tennessee, and Jalen Milrow can't do any wrong, faces a tough opponent in Texas, and all the boo birds are out. So I would say nice win for Auburn. Temper expectations until the competition gets a little tougher and do not fall into the same trap that Alabama fans did at the beginning of the year. Well, at least one thing we can say for sure. They started to target Fairweather a bit more. Yeah. I think he caught like four or five passes. So it's great that they finally recognize that they have a really stud at receiver. Yeah. Uh, so we uh, we got a lot going on today. We want you guys to jump in at 694-1055. Uh, so today on the show, we got a lot of uh, great guests, as always, uh, coming up here on the station, starting with our high school segment. Marcus Cook's going to join us at 6.30. Bob Baumhauer at 6.50. Daniel McCarthy on the Jags. We'll do our Miller Lite Golf Report in hour number two as well. Bill Cameron will talk some Auburn in hour number two. Dean Wade, wait for the call. We're going to do it today on a Monday. We've got a ton of stuff to get to with Dean at 8 o'clock and Mike Rodak at Al- on Alabama at 8.30. So clearly... We are busy. We are here at Baumhauer's Victory Grill at the Shops of Bel Air for our Monday morning quarterback edition of the opening kickoff. Here comes your scoreboard, your traffic, and your weather, and your reaction is next right here on the sports station WNSP. Hi, this is Bill Hancock, Executive Director of the College Football Playoff, and you are listening to WNSP 105.5 in Mobile. edition of the opening kickoff from Baumhauer's Victory Grill at the Shops of LA. I want to remind everybody that uh, the NFL season is here, and Bob Baumhauer's Victory Grill has got a pick'em contest where you can win a $100 gift certificate. You can visit Baumhauer's.com or scan the QR code on your table at your favorite location to enter. It's game on here at Baumhauer's. So how is a, you know the, who I'd want to talk to more than anybody? The guys on the Alabama offensive line. You're the ones, J.C. Latham, you're the one that came out in the fall or in, in the preseason and talked about how they wanted to get back to Alabama uh, football and, 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 and pushing people around and the whole thing. And as disappointing as Buckner was, and he was, he was atrocious, and as, as bad as his offense is and pre-snap penalties and all that, I think the bigger disappointment right now is the way that offensive line has been playing. After all the hype and everything that was said during SEC media days, talk about failing to meet expectations. Those are the people I'd want to hear from and be like, dude, what is up? Yeah, that's a good point, Mark, to talk to them and especially Latham because he was so outspoken at the uh, beginning of the season and when he talked to the media about, you know, how this offensive line was going to come together in jail. And we see, again, the importance of the trenches. And, you know, over the years with Alabama's great success, and like we pointed out in the AP poll, they've been entrenched in the uh, top ten for, let's see, eight seasons and 128 games. And while the offensive line doesn't get much credit, we all know that games are won in the trenches. And right now in the trenches, Alabama, at least on the offensive side of the football, does not look very good at all. And they better get it together in a hurry because Ole Miss is a very formidable opponent coming to uh, Tuscaloosa on Saturday. Yeah, so Lane Kiffin says yesterday that uh, Kevin Steele, he believes, isn't even the guy, uh, isn't even the guy calling plays defensively. What do you think of that? 
I'm not buying into it. Uh, Lane likes to throw out these things on his X account or whatever they call it these days. Nice. Yeah, I don't buy into that. I, I know Kevin Steele. I, I, he's the defensive coordinator. It's it's just uh, Lane Kiffin playing games. I, I don't doubt that it's Kevin Steele who's calling the defense with with a lot of help from Nick Saban because defense is his forte. And, you know, certainly the defense, you know, held his part. They held South Florida to three points, even though I thought South Florida's offense was better than Alabama's offense. But when it counted, they couldn't score. Yeah, no, I, I do believe that Alabama's defense played very well considering uh, the hole that the Alabama offense kept putting them in. But Kiffin's theory there is that uh, uh, Traveris Robinson is calling the plays. I'm not buying into that. I am a little surprised that the Alabama defense, though, didn't force more turnovers uh, in that game because you got a fresh, a rookie, a freshman quarterback for South Florida who at times looked good. He ran well. Uh, certainly their passing attack was not going to scare you, but... I would have thought, and especially in that muck they were playing in, the rain, I would have thought that uh, they could have maybe forced another, you know, a fumble here, a fumble there, and, and set up the offense in better position more than they did. Uh, so we're going to talk some high school coming up here uh, in our next segment. Uh, it, it, is, uh, it is fair to say that the uh, our Dr. Christopher Mullinex High School game day did take a little bit of a uh, an L. So we we, the, we are falling from the undefeated, so we are now 5-1. and one. But I am going to guarantee it's going to get better this coming week for sure. I, I, we'll be at Sarah Land on Friday, and it will be at MGM on Thursday. Yeah, number two, another two-for-one week here on WNSP, so we're really excited about that uh, coming up. And it's always good to go out and, uh, and, and, and visit with folks on, on different campuses. So we'll talk about that coming up as well. And we'll continue to hammer away on this Alabama thing, guys. Um, Does anybody out there think that the quarterback Saturday should be anybody but Jalen Milrow? Yeah. That's what we want to hear. Does anybody think that it should be Buckner, that it should be Simpson, Longerin, or just snap the ball to the running back? <laughs> Whatever you want. Just snap it to Red Williams. Whatever you want. Yeah. Um, I, I, it's just I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked at how bad Buckner was. Like there was there was one where it like it didn't leave his hand but it kinda left Sandy like threw it in the dirt. I'm like, what are we doing? <laughs> yes. I actually felt bad for the kid. But I was like, dude, if you need somebody to do that, I can do that. It just it just wasn't good. It wasn't good at all. Did we ever hear an explanation from Nick Saban why they switched from Milro to Buckner? Yeah, he went into the whole, you know, we reevaluated and so he gives the best chance to win stuff. I mean, he didn't come out and just. Unleashes towards the end zone. It oh, is he All right, 632, thanks for hanging with us on this Monday morning quarterback edition of the opening kickoff. Mark and Lee, we're at Baumhauer's Victory Grill at the Shops of Bel Air. Come on by and see us in about a half hour, so the doors open for you for complimentary beignets and coffee and uh, shoot the breeze, talk some football. We'll talk some football with Bob Baumhauer. Uh, actually, get his take on uh, Baumhauer's restaurants and everything, and maybe ask him who should be the quarterback in Alabama. How about that uh, audio clip there? Hail Mary. Denver trailing Washington by eight. They throw the Hail Mary about a 50-yarder, and it deflects, and it's caught by a Denver receiver. I think it was Brandon Johnson, and then they went for the two to try to tie and send an OT. Did not work. We had a lot of high-scoring games in high school football this weekend. There are about 
I know, three or four very high-scoring games. But the crew back at uh, Pigskin Pete's house, which is WNSP on Friday nights, went with a defensive player. Viger defeating Williamson 12 to nothing, And the Bryant Bank Player of the Week, Brandon Purifoy of the Viger Wolves. Marcus Cook is the head coach. Coach Cook, good morning. How are you today? Good morning. Good morning. Glad to be on. Yeah, so tell us, what did Purifoy do to deserve the Bryant Bank Player of the Week? Um, I watched the film several times. He was all over the place. He made he made about 16 tackles. I think we credited him with 15, but he made about 16 tackles. He had a uh, a forced fumble, which he stripped, took the ball out. Yeah. Went about 97, 98 yards. Um had an interception. I mean, he was everywhere. Special teams making tackles, uh, third down stops, fourth down stops. He was all over the field. He played lights out. Um, very, very good kid. Smart kid. 3.8 GPA. And he just plays with so much heart, you know. He's about five, about five eight, five nine. but if that kid was six feet tall, we'll be talking about him going to the SEC right now. I still think he's going to pick up some bigger offers. But uh, Brandon Pierrefoy is a football player. You sound like you're pretty interested in him, uh, Coach Cook, and well, you should be. Talk about the 97, 98-yard uh, fumble return. Well, it was basically a fourth down play. Um, as time expired in the in the first half, quarterback kind of, you know, got to try to get out the pocket. He got stood up. Brandon simply just took the football and took off running. And, you know, he went down our, our sideline and wound up getting a touchdown, and that gave us a spark going into the half. So I used to say the green and silver, but you corrected me. It's the green and white now, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, it's the green, it's the green, green and white. white. So you're rolling along, still undefeated. Uh, just talk about where this team is now. Oh, uh, 4-0 right now, uh, but you can't look behind you. You got to look ahead right now. Our focus is UMS right. So we got a big football game on Friday on campus versus UMS right, and that's our focus right now. Um, we got this game, then we got to buy. So we're going to give UMS all we got. So UMS right, they have had also, uh, they haven't been scoring a lot of points. You didn't score that many offensively. So, and you know how it is if you start looking on paper, things turn on you fast, but could this be a very low-scoring game, kind of a defensive-minded game? Uh, we're not going into it looking to be defensive-minded. Uh, I want to play great defense, but I also want to score points. So our goal offensively this week is to put up more points. We know uh, UMS is going to come in with a good game plan to try to stop us from scoring points, but our job on offense is to score points. Our job on defense is to stop people from scoring. You know, you, you talk about scoring points, and then I go back a couple of weeks when we had that terrific uh, ride out there to do our game day, uh, and you guys, what, uh, beat Citronelle something like 34-28 or something like that in a thriller. Yeah, yeah. We were, uh, we were in the dogfight, able to get out of there in overtime with a 34-28 win, and so we have the ability to score points. We just got to minimize our mistakes, uh, penalties, and uh, there's things like that that get us behind the stick to stop us from scoring. So that's going to be one of my main focuses this week as a head coach. 
Marcus, always good to catch up to you. Congratulations on the fast start, and uh, good luck the rest of the way. Thank you so much. Glad to be on. All right, you guys, uh, so there seems to be a little um, conspiracy theory going on. People batting around the, the idea that maybe Saban put the other two quarterbacks in to prove a point. What do you think? No, he's not doing that. He's not. Is he like y'all complaining about Jalen yeah. Milrow? All right, I'll show you why I started Jalen Milrow. If he was going to do that, he probably would have put a freshman quarterback in there. Also, he's not like that. Nick's not built like that. Nick's built to win and win now. And uh, no, I, I'm not buying that conspiracy theory at all. Although I would question why he. Hey, maybe Pat McAfee can ask him this week. Why did you not put Milrow back in there when you were struggling? It's a, it's a, it, he is on every week, right? On yeah. That show? Okay. And it, I think it's a legitimate question. Uh, I, I think it's a question that needs to be asked this week, and whether or not they ask it or he answers it, I, I don't know. But look, I can't make guarantees if Milrow would have chalked up a, a lot of points. But come on, he at least made big plays against Texas, and this is not to put South Florida down. But I have a feeling Texas now ranked number three is far better than South Florida. Are they, though? Yes. Are they? I mean, let's let's take a look at what Texas has done this year and over the weekend. Texas was in a struggle win themselves against Wyoming. Um, so I'm not sure. Who would you take in a game between uh, Texas and South Florida? Uh, straight up or with the points? <laughs> <laughs> All right. You got me there. Is by there, the way. Is there, is there weather by the way. In? By the way. So. I'm watching George and South. Talk about taking points. What was Alabama 33? That went down the drain. How about even, what was Georgia like, a 23-point pick or something like that over South Carolina? They struggled to win. And now we start wondering, like, where, uh, how good is this SEC this year? I know they have kind of a losing record against Power 5 teams. And even the whole landscape of college football, I mean, it's crazy this year. Colorado doing what they're doing. By the way, another really good game for Riley Leonard. I know Northwestern is not a formidable opponent, but still they win and they're undefeated. He did really, really well this week. Do you know uh, – you mentioned Colorado. Deion Sanders has sold one, more than 1.2 million pairs of sunglasses since. Did you since see Dan after Norvell? the game? He wasn't wearing them, right, in the handshake after the game? Yeah, but that's a little misleading because he didn't have them on for most of the game right. either. That's he true. had them on early. So um, I'm just so upset with the uh, that Travis Hunter got hurt because we won't see him against Oregon this week. But hey, here's another thing. You talk about a, Alabama. By the way, penalties. that's that's going to be a play we talk about with sure. Dean Wade, that yes. hit and why it wasn't considered targeting. We're going to get to that. Absolutely. With Dean Wade. But talk about penalties. Am I right on this? I think Colorado State had something like nine personal fouls. <laughs> and didn't they get <laughs> it's up It's really not funny. But no, it's it not. And they got up to 17, I think. But here's another one. Did you catch that any of the Boston College Florida State game? That turned out to be a very, very close game. Florida State had an early lead. Boston College, and they're not very good, they came back to make a game of it. Yet, and they only lost by two points, and at the end of the game, they had a chance to get the ball back, but then they called them for it. It was like a face mask stopping Florida State. Mark, they had 18 penalties in the game and yeah. still lost by only two points to Florida State. Well, that was one of the – there were two reasons why I didn't stay up and watch all of Colorado, Colorado State. Um, well, actually three. One, because I would gotten up early because I had to work, but the other ones were – it didn't start on time, and the last reason was because of all the penalties. I think I think there were 
11. I think Colorado State had like I said 11 in the first half. Oh, 11 in the first half. All right. And I'm like, stop. I but mean, these weren't the five yard. This, these were personal fouls. Yeah, it was very, it was very, very chippy. It started in pregame, uh, but that's why people were tuning in because they were they were getting after it. I mean, these. these it was so stupid, too, because they were, like, warming up, but one of the Colorado State guys kind of batted down a pass that was going to Hunter in pregame, and they were complaining that Colorado was too far over on their side, and, and stuff kind of went sideways, and there was kind of like this, it wasn't a brawl, but it, it, it kind of, it, it could have been, and guys had kind of gotten into it. Same thing happened at the end of Florida, Tennessee. Something else we're going to talk about, Dean Wade. That got ugly, too. Man, two guys squared off like they were boxers going at it at, at the end of that game. Um, so yeah, the, I'm, I'm trying to look for the penalties. There were 27 penalties called in the Colorado, Colorado state game, 27 penalties. Those are the ones that were assessed. I don't even know how many were, uh, were declined. I would have liked to have heard. I didn't hear the post game, what Sanders and Norvell said to one another afterwards. I, I I'm not trying to play up this. It was probably like a nice game. You guys. You know, it was it was Colorado State actually should have won that game. Ninety eight yard drive in the final minutes. They couldn't stop Colorado. And then the overtime win. I wish I could have stayed up. I actually saw the end of that game today. They replayed it on one of those ESPN stations. So you were telling me Colorado and Oregon is a two thirty game. Darn it. On Saturday, it's head to head with Alabama and Ole Miss. What time's the Notre Dame Ohio State game? I hope that's a night game. And, of course, Auburn and Texas A&M, that, that'll be played at 11 a.m., I believe. So from that, then you get to Alabama. But then, of course, I want to tune in some of Colorado, Oregon. Uh, Sanders versus Knicks. Wow. Uh, Ohio State Notre Dame is a 6.30 start. Uh, I'm sure that'll be the uh, Fowler-Herb Street game. Uh, I guess. Yeah, well, game, yeah, game day is definitely going to uh, be. Then? Yeah, that, that was announced and, on Saturday. And the SEC Nation's going to Aggieland. Yeah, for Auburn, uh, Texas A&M. So, um. you know, and also we, you know, we talked about what a crazy start to the season. The, you mentioned about the delay in the Colorado, Colorado State game. A number of games, Alabama, of course, there was a huge delay in that game. There were several games that were delayed because of weather. And Saban came out all hot and bothered after uh, after the delay. I'm not sure why. There was some talk about. Uh, the officials wanted to get the game started, but then ESPN officials didn't want the game to start right back up. And so I think there wasn't a very clear line of communication to the teams. But it was goofy because this happens from time to time, right? I don't understand the rules, but the game can continue. But the guys that are up in their perches with the cameras can't be, which is why oh, the camera yeah. angles are so bad because they're all stationary. Yeah. So they, they can't let the guys go back up there and run the cameras. And everybody is all up in arms during the game about how bad the, the, the angles are. But that's why. So I don't understand what the different protocols are, what the different standards are. How, can, how are guys and people safe to go back into the stadium and watch and play games, but those guys are not cleared to go back up and do what they that's do? That's a good point. I, obviously, lightning is the factor as far as delaying games, and you have to wait a certain amount of time. I think most of you already know that. Just had a wild thought. If Alabama doesn't win, you know, say the SEC title game, and it's just going to a bowl game, and wouldn't it be absolutely insane, Colorado versus Alabama in a bowl game, if Colorado gets to at least six wins? 
Uh, what's more likely at this point, Alabama getting a six wins or Colorado? Look, if if you said if they don't go to the SEC championship game and win, yeah. if they do, and that's a big if, this will be the greatest Nick Saban coaching job in the history of the world because they are atrocious right now. They are just not good at football. The offensive line is terrible. They're ter- the, the penalties continue. Like that's that's my biggest con- that's my biggest gripe about this coaching staff. You know, we can talk about players just not playing well and not being good, but how do you harp on penalties being an issue for as long as this coaching staff has harped on it and not get that turned around? Do you think? And I'm answering my own question because he is that the defensive coordinator at Ole Miss, Pete Golding, is just frosting and waiting for this game. And I am just dying to see commentary after this game if Alabama doesn't do well. The way he was maligned last year, if the Ole Miss defense can pretty well dominate Alabama's offense, what people are going to say. Look, I'm not one of those guys that's like, fire the coordinator. He's not about This week, Tommy Tommy Reese is terrible. He, he just wasn't good. So now Bill O'Brien was a great offensive coordinator. You know who the guy was that really was that never got to do? And you and I even got into it about this with Sarkeesian. He may have been the best one that uh, Nick Saban had. Why did we get into it on that? Uh, I remember at the uh, outset of the season you were down on him. And I, you know, he, I, he had just come back from Atlanta and all that kind of stuff. And I said, no, he's, he's going to be fine. Of course, it happens. Who was his quarterback? Tua was Tua then, or it helps to have a guy like that quarterbacking. I think with Reece- now we're starting to miss. You know, now you're starting to you know with Bryce Young and Tua and Jones. I don't remember which one was the quarterback. Jalen Hurts. How spoiled Alabama fans got because of the run of those quarterbacks. Well, I don't think it's just that. I do think it's Tommy Reese's inability to, and this is partly on Saban too. And we've talked about this. The idea that they want to, he has in his mind, this is the type of offense we want to run, and right now his best bet to run offense is not conducive to that style of play. So Jalen Milrow is your best chance at winning right now. You're going to have to change what you do offensively. Last week we talked about do you change your offense to fit your quarterback or do you change your quarterbacks to fit your offense? And clearly what you have to do is change your offense to fit your quarterbacks right but now. again i go back to the old saying you're only as good as your players are and i think back uh in sark four- coached mac and two by the way okay uh Bo- wasn't when when auburn had carnell ronnie brown yeah. campbell those three receivers and borges was considered the greatest offensive coach alive and then what two or three years they let him go yep yeah it helps to have talent all right, when we come back, we're going to catch up with Bob Baumhauer. Uh, we're at his place. I mean, I can't think of too many people that let us uh, roll into their place when they're not here, but Bob continues to let us do it, and we appreciate it. So Bob Baumhauer is next. We come back. We wrap up hour number one here from our Monday morning quarterback edition of the opening kickoff from Baumhauer's Victory Grill at the Shops of Bel Air. Come on by and see us in about 15, 20 minutes or so right here on the sports station, WNSP and WNSP.com. Hi, I'm Vern Lundquist from CBS Sports. You're listening to WNST Mobile, Alabama.
wrapping up hour number one. Just like that, it's our doc. Oh, no, it's not. It's our Monday morning quarterback. I was, we were talking about the Dr. Chris Romanis High School game day. We're going to do double this week, Thursday and Friday. But we're at our Baumhauer's Victory Grill at the Shops of Bel Air for our Monday morning quarterback edition of the show. want to remind you, if you can't come out this morning and see us, come on by and grab yourself some lunch or even some dinner tonight for those back-to-back Monday night football games. Um, wings special from the Inflation Bites Menu, a pound of traditional award-winning wings with your choice of sauce served with curly Q fries and a complimentary beverage for only $9.99. need to check that out. And, of course, Baumhauer's has you taken care of all through the NFL season and, of course, college football, too. Yeah, they got that $100 uh, gift card. If you win the Pick'em Contest, you come here and uh, uh, find out how you pick games for the NFL. New on the menu, salmon, and there's also a new steak dish on the menu, too. So many, many good reasons. You know, we were just talking about uh, with Matt, the GM here, about fans coming out and obviously not too happy with with the way Alabama played that day. I wonder how the executives at ABC or whoever was responsible for putting that game on ABC felt afterwards and uh, what kind of ratings they had. You know, and and I'm not just talking about the way Alabama played because I'm sure people were watching anyway, but the delay the fact that, as you mentioned, that the camera, uh, those who had the close-ups couldn't be up there for whatever reasons, and you had that long view, which for somebody like me whose eyes aren't as good as they were when I was in my 20s, I had difficulties knowing who had the ball, but it didn't matter. You know, you heard the commentators and things like that. and I mean, you can still follow it, but not nearly as close. And, you know, we kind of, um, you know, you, you take that for granted, Mark. You take it for granted. You're going to get those great camera angles and so forth. But then when you have uh, rain delays and then, you know, and, and a lot of times we're watching these games that it's raining and, and it's hard to see because of the uh, water that gets on the lens. Uh, I'm sure. Well, first of all, no network likes games running later being delayed for sure. But. I'm guessing ABC execs love the fact that it was a close game. That a, that they that Alabama was on the ropes there for a while. There was a there was a thought. I don't I don't know if there was ever a thought that they were going to lose. But the fact that that was a competitive game, I think, puts more eyeballs on the game. Right? Uh, people start hearing about it on social media, so they start to go over and see what's going on in that game. It was probably a blessing for ABC for that game to actually be competitive there for a while because. I think when they took that game, they figured it was just going to be an absolute blowout. I would like to see the ratings. CBS's game, South Carolina-Georgia, which turned out to be a very competitive game, uh, and versus the ABC game with Alabama and South Florida. I, I'm not, I'm not going to say which one had the higher rating. I'd like to see it. I don't know. But certainly the Georgia game turned out to be a lot better. Let's say a better competitive game than anybody thought because Georgia was like a 23-point pick, and weren't they down like 14-3 to at one point or something like that? And then they battled back uh, to win that game in what became a kind of a defensive struggle. So, you know, maybe maybe Georgia's not as, you know, you never know from week to week, you know, but South Carolina had a chance to win that game, and Rattler had an unbelievable passing at least into the second half, and then, you know, they couldn't catch Georgia playing at home. All right, so we're going to we're gonna try to put a little bit more positive spin on today's show when we come back in, in hour number two. Daniel McCarthy is going to join us for what was an incredible Jags win. I mean, I think you put this win up there in top three, top five wins of top all two. time in Jag history. Top two. That's how big this was. Uh, absolute domination of Oklahoma State uh, on the road in Stillwater. We're going to talk about that coming up. 
So kudos to Kane Womack and the guys for what was just an unbelievable win. We'll do that coming up at 7 o'clock. Um, we'll do our Millite Golf Report as well. John Ricchetti will join us at 7.20. Bill Cameron on Auburn at 7.30. Uh, and then Dean Waite. Uh, we have a number of calls to talk about with Dean at 8 o'clock and Mike Rodak uh, at 8.30. But we encourage you to to spout off there. One of the games. Sound off. I saw a lot of games, and I, I, you know, I tried to pick them apart and so forth. But the Missouri win over Kansas State on, was it Nevis? Wasn't he the one that missed the field goal against Auburn last yeah. year? Harrison yep. Nevis. The 61-yard field goal. And one thing I wanted to ask, we almost got a chance to see this, but it didn't occur because Taylor Zarzer, former WNSP afternoon talk show host, was calling this game, and he spotted yellow flags on the kick by Nevis, yeah. right? Yep. And according to what I heard afterwards, this was on, like, SEC Now after the game. Indeed, there were, because they then they, they weren't worried, wondering if they were pom-poms or something like that. There were flags thrown. And according to what they said on SEC now, that the penalty would have been against Kansas State because they had two players with the same number on the field. So take this and wrap this around. Had Nevis missed the field goal, they would have had another chance at it closer. So that was indeed a flag that was thrown? Two flags were thrown because according to, and I don't remember who said it on the SEC now, that two players for Kansas State on the field wearing the same number. Because there were there was what looked like a pom-pom or a T-shirt, that was Taylor was saying, looked like it was being thrown from the back of the end zone when the ball went through because I thought they thought there was a flag called, and then there was no flag, but it, there was indeed a flag, a phantom flag. Yes, and if you remember Nevis last year, he was the same guy. He's got a very strong leg, but he was the one that had trouble with kicking against Auburn when that miserable offensive showing last year when Auburn actually won the game, even though Missouri had a chance to win it at the end. But a 61-yard field goal gives Missouri the win over K-State. All right, we just come back. We'll talk some Jags and a historic win over the weekend. We'll get you all caught up right here from Baumhauer's Victory Grill, the shop, the Bel Air. The doors are open. It's our Monday morning quarterback. Come on by and see us. WNSP. This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all sports radio station, 105.5 FM, WNSP, and on the Sound of Mobile app. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim, Lee Shervanian, and Michael Brauner. The opening kickoff. Here are Mark, Lee, and Michael. Hey, it's 7.05. Welcome back in. We appreciate you making us part of your morning. It's the Monday morning quarterback edition of the opening kickoff. We're broadcasting from Baumhauer's Victory Grill at the Shops of Bel Air, where the doors are now open for you. Come on by, get a complimentary cup of coffee and some beignets, talk some football with us from uh, over the weekend, and uh, meet the one and only Lee Shervanian. Look forward to having you in here and uh, help... Uh, Let's say take care of the coffee that's out here in the beignets. If you don't see them, just ask for them. For the first time in eight years and after a string of 128 straight weeks, Alabama's dropped out of the AP Top 10 following the win over South Florida, 17-3. to Georgia remains uh, number one. And in the coaches' poll, Alabama is number 12. Uh, in the NFL, 
five games decided by three points or less. Two went into overtime with victories by Tennessee and Seattle. We have the Saints tonight starting at 6 o'clock. They take on the Panthers in trying to go to 2-0. and In Major League Baseball, we had two teams, both from the ALEs, qualify for postseason, Baltimore and the Rays of Tampa both qualifying. This segment is brought to you by USA Athletics. Get your tickets at usajaguars.com slash tickets. They have their uh, second home game against Central Michigan, but we want to talk about Saturday with Deputy uh, Athletic Director Daniel McCarthy. Daniel, welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you today? Good morning, guys. How you doing? How about them Jags? How about those Jags is right. Uh, were you at the uh, Jag win over Mississippi State many years ago? You know, I actually wasn't. I watched that one from home, uh, and so you know, I, I did. I did maybe get my uh, get, get my redemption there by being there on Saturday night up in Stillwater. Well, certainly for Kane Womack, his most impressive win as a coach, and I, I don't know how you. I, I'd put it right up there with the Jag win over Mississippi State. The fact that you beat Mississippi State, you know, on the road, and then you go to Oklahoma State and win that game. I, to me, that. That that would sound like the two best victories in the program's history at this point. Yeah, I would say you know absolutely. I mean, we um, you know you 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 want to win every time you go out there, and, and every time you go into a a matchup with a you know a Big Twelve opponent, there there's always an opportunity to to take advantage of there, and to be able to do so, it just shows the caliber of our team. I mean, just look at what the the Sun Belt Conference is doing so far early this year. I mean, I, I think. Uh, I think this is this is just another kind of notch in the belt that this is a league that that is very very talented, very deep, and obviously us going and taking care of business up there in the way that we did uh, shows what this team is capable of. I mean, I think we all knew coming into the season expectations were high, and obviously the two lane game was a little bit of a step, maybe a half step backwards, but not enough to to knock us off the rails. So I think uh, we saw what our team is is really capable of going up and like you said, a pretty dominant performance, just start to finish. Well, and, and that's the biggest difference between that and the Mississippi State game, clearly, right? I don't think anybody really saw South Alabama going into Stillwater not only winning, but winning the way they did. I mean, they dominated from start to finish in that game. Like, Oklahoma State was never in that game. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're right, uh, Mark. I think the, the, the win at Mississippi State was historic and always will be, and, and it took a you know a missed field goal at the end and sort of that dramatic fashion. I mean, there, there was not a lot of drama to this one. I feel like there were some things – that we did early on that just really put the uh, the, the pedal you know down and, and we never really looked back and and I I would say um, I would say that 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 did make it feel different I mean there was a moment I was still nervous all the way up into the fourth quarter and that felt like that 15 minutes sure. was never going to tick off yeah um, but there were some key moments you know they scored it was I think 20 26 zero maybe and they scored 26 seven and and we went three and out immediately. And then had an opportunity to recover a muff punt that gave us the ball back, and 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 that was where you you kind of was like, okay, that gave us some breathing room. It's no longer a two-score game, um, but I just think across the board, a very balanced game. We were very good offensively, very efficient in the run game, very efficient in the pass game. Our special teams, Jack Martin was lights out punting for us, and then defensively, I think we saw the energy that this team and Kane used the word swagger in his post-game uh, speech to the team, and that, it was a, a team that played with a lot of swagger defensively. We were all over the field um, and, and just made plays when we needed to. Okay, uh, Daniel, we had uh, Kane on last week. He's on every other week with us. We talked about the slow start that they had against Southeastern Louisiana. Obviously, that was not the case on Saturday. Why was that? Why did they get off to such a good start like they did? 
I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I have a good answer to what, what, what the difference was. I, I think it's just um, preparation. I, I watched practice a good bit this week, and uh, the mindset just seems a little different. I, I don't know if playing with higher expectations early, you know, made you play a little tighter. You know, I'm just speculating, but I, I felt like the team Saturday came out loose, uh, played um, the way that we saw the team play a lot last year. I think this team likes big moments, and so that was a big moment to come out and just sort of establish the identity that I think we all know that this team can have. And um, so, again, I go back to, to the swagger. I think the swagger was there in a way Saturday that maybe we haven't seen it uh, early this year, and I think it starts with preparation. And, um, you know, Kane, Kane talked a lot this week, and I think he's carrying it over as we can move forward. Is That was a, a nameless, faceless opponent. Yes, it says Oklahoma State on the building. Yes, it says Oklahoma State on the helmet and the jersey. But don't don't look at it that way. That's someone who's standing in our way. They're nameless. They're faceless. Let's do our job. And I think that sort of mindset may have been what sort of, you know, caused our guys to have a different thought process and approach. And we just played with a lot of, like I said, swagger and a lot of um, we're just comfortable. It's just a comfortable game start to finish. Daniel, I'm not a doctor, but I get the sense that Ladamian Webb's probably pretty healthy now, right? <laughs> <laughs> He's a difference maker, you know. I mean, he yeah. he came in in the second half of, of the Southeastern game and really kind of gave us a spark. But um, I mean, I, I thought just he's he's something. He, he's just different. I mean, I, Kentrell Bullock had a great game. He had some huge carries and third down situations where we needed, you know, short yardage, five, six, seven yards. But Ladamian's just he's just different. The way he hits the hole, the way he he's, he's shifty as he gets to that that first line. Um, he's hard to he's hard to bring down. I mean, just. That long run at the end, I think we were really just trying to get it off tackle and sort of milk the clock. And it's just he's just so good that he breaks one for 75, you know. So um, I'm, I'm glad to see him back. He did have limited reps in the spring, limited reps at fall camp. Um, but, boy, he's looking good right now at the right time. When did the uh, Cowboy fans start leaving the uh, arena? You know, I will say that's, that, I've, I, that I think that's actually the first Big 12 game I've been to. I don't know that I've been to a Big 12 game prior, and, and, and so I don't know if this is indicative of the fan base. Likely not, but the, the fans in Oklahoma, first of all, are the most hospitable, um, welcoming fans that I've seen in a visiting venue in Trevor, and they love the Cowboys. Uh, it was packed when we kicked. It was packed at the half, even though we were up and they had not scored. only had 70 yards in the first half. I think it was the... The final, um, the muff punt, Diego's field goal that put us up by three scores is when you started to see the building start to empty out. But um, I will say they're a very loyal fan base, and I don't think they saw that coming. But they were also um, very respectful and, and, and complimentary, uh, the ones that I talked to, of just how well we had played. So it was um, a very, very good environment and very fun to, to be a part of it. You know, you see a 33-7 to score, long-distance trip, Stillwater, Oklahoma, beat Oklahoma State, Big 12 team. It's got to raise the expectations for the rest of this season. Yeah, I think it just kind of resets us, right? It puts us back where I think we should have – our mind was coming into the year that there's no one on our schedule that we can't beat if we show up and play our game. And so as you look at, at what lies ahead, uh, Central Michigan at home, that's not one you can look past. I know we went up there last year and took care of business, but this is a team that's hungry for a win. I, I can't recall. I know they lost to Michigan State. I know they lost this weekend at Notre Dame. I don't know what they sandwiched in between. Uh, but I, I think this is um, this is an opportunity to just keep that momentum going. Let's not have a letdown. And then, boy, does it get, you know, does it, this conference play open with a bang, having to go to James Madison, who just knocked off Troy at their place. Um, so I, I think it, it sort of resets us into a mindset of, 
it's going to be a grind. There's some grueling games ahead. But you can always point back to what happened on Saturday as a motivation to there's no one in our way at, at this point that we should fear. Set the stage for Saturday. Jim McElwain brings in Central Michigan. Yeah, it's homecoming weekend, so a full week of stuff here on campus. Uh, I would say, you know, a lot of student activities going on throughout the week, and then Friday night really sort of kicks off the weekend. There's a, a bonfire concert, a uh, pep rally, uh, antique car show, uh, fireworks. I don't know if I said that. All going on Friday night at the intramural field starting around 530. Uh, and then uh, we'll roll into Saturday, the game's at 4. Again, it's homecoming, so uh, lots of pregame stuff with tailgating, parades. Uh, the parking lots will open, most open at 8 o'clock for tailgating, and then the gates will open at 2.30. There are t- uh, tickets still available. You know, I really encourage, I, I think when you have a win like we had Saturday in the, in the fashion that we did it, it motivates people. People get excited, so I, I know our fan base is excited, but maybe those out there that are listening that, that, that aren't sure, that might want to, Maybe sit the fence a little bit, and this is one where you might want to come check it out. I mean, coming off a win against a, a Big 12 team on the road and the way that we did it, I encourage folks to come out and support this team. They're a lot of fun to watch. Um, this has still got the chance to be a really special season, so be here on the front end and, and, and help, um, you know, help this team you know, carry on and, 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 and get ready for conference play. So hope to see everybody out here on Saturday. Hey, Daniel, we really do appreciate it. There's nothing like going on the road to get a win that they pay you to uh, to, to win, man. I mean, from what I understand, you guys, you made a little coin on top of the dub. Yeah, you know, this was a, this was an interesting uh, game contract because we, we did a two-for-one where we went there twice. If you remember, they came to us. I don't recall the years they all run together, but we made two trips to Stillwater, this being the last, and then they came to Mobile once. So the payday is, is a little different in those games because it spreads over three. But, yeah, anytime you can uh, go on the road, any road win is good, right? Anytime a road win, whether you sure. get zero or something. Um, but a road win and a check is, is one we'll, um, we'll definitely uh, not, not turn down. Hey, man, we appreciate the time. Congrats. I know it's going to be a big week as well. We'll be in touch, and let's do it again soon. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. See I you think soon. it's safe to say that uh, Oklahoma State will not be inviting South Alabama back to their yeah. home venue. Not when you get beat like that. Right. Yeah. Um, all right. So a couple of you guys are in the uh, in the app. So look, what we know is basically what you know. Uh, there's some stuff out there, but nothing really that we can confirm about the departure of JD Byers. We um, nobody at South is really talking about it, uh, and we knew that coming into today's show. So we can sit here and speculate, uh, but he is uh, no longer part of the South Alabama play-by-play uh, team. Um, I, I don't really know what more to add to that, except there's some stories out there. None of it's been confirmed. Um, but clearly something's up. You don't make a change like that in the middle of a year. There will not be anything coming out. You will not hear anything. It was an HR deal. Um, and like I said, uh, people I've talked to don't want to comment on it. Uh, and that's usually the case at South Alabama <laughs> when there's a change, especially at mid-year. I it, I just couldn't believe that they released their play-by-play announcer third game into the season instead of just saying, you know, finish out the year. Uh, J.D.'s been a part of that program for, gosh, how many, seven years he was brought in. Um, does a really, really good job on the air, very good uh, play-by-play announcer, also worked uh, behind the scenes with sales and, and so forth. And to I tell you, I Mark, he, uh, he survived a horrific 
uh, car accident many, many months ago, and I was glad to see him up and about, and he's just about regained, you know, his, his full health and everything, and I, I hated to see it, but, you know, change was made, and again, there is nobody out there who's going to comment on as to why. All right, uh, here comes your scoreboard traffic and weather. We'll have our Millite golf report coming up next as well. Come on out and see us. We're at Baumhauer's Victory Grill at the Shops of Bel Air. It's our Monday morning quarterback edition of the opening kickoff. Bill Cameron's going to join us at 730 on Auburn. Dean Waite, we have a bunch of calls for him to review for us at 8 o'clock. And Mike Rodak on Alabama. All we're waiting on is you. Stay with us right here on the Sports Station WNSP. This is Charlie Farley from the University of Alabama. You're to 105.5 WNSP. Roll Tide. with us. The Monday morning quarterback edition of the opening kickoff continues right here on the sports station WNSP and WNSP.com as we broadcast from Baumhauer's Victory Grill at the Shops of Bel Air. Out in the uh, Napa Valley, they had a golf tournament. Who knows better than what happened than our good friend from the Miller Lite Golf Report, John Ricchetti. Johnny, good morning. Good morning, guys. Yeah, it's uh, good to see the PJ Tour back in action this week in Napa Valley and another first-time uh, winner in Saget Magali who played uh, at Pepperdine, uh, was an outstanding collegiate player, finally breaks through for his first win in Napa Valley yesterday, and uh, it was a very good victory yesterday. It was good to see Justin Thomas playing well, who had a chance in this golf tournament, but uh, ended up in the top five, I believe, or sixth place. So good stuff by Justin Thomas as he gets his game uh, honed up. Max Homa, the defending champion, also uh, made the cut. Only two American Ryder Cuppers were in the field at Napa, Napa Valley. Robbie Shelton struggled a little yesterday uh, with a two-over par 74, but did get a tie for 19th, so a very, very good tournament for Robbie for Mobile's Robbie Shelton. Also on the, the DP European Tour, the BMW Championship, Ryan Fox wins there, but a note, all 12 European Ryder Cup players were in the field along with Luke Donald and all 12 players making the cut at the BMW Championship. So the European team uh, trending well going into the Ryder Cup in just a few weeks. Also, Steve Stricker complete, can, continues his fine play on the Champions Tour. Uh, just a quick shout-out, congratulations to Michael Johnson, Scott McDade for winning on the Light Scratch Tour this weekend at Lakewood Golf Club, and we'll be on the air tomorrow night at 6 o'clock as the New Orleans Saints will take our uh, time today at Monday night, but we'll be on the air tomorrow night at 6 o'clock. Hey, John, we appreciate it, man. Have a good show tomorrow, and we'll be in touch. All right, guys, have a great week. Yep, absolutely. You know, we talk about the Alabama deficiencies of quarterback, and then you get a chance to watch Bryce Young in his second start yesterday, head-to-head matchup with Jones and uh, Tua Tonga-Viola, won by Miami. And then we go back to Thursday, and Jalen Hurts leading the Eagles to a win. So where are all those Alabama quarterbacks? They're in the NFL. Yeah, we've discussed it a lot. We haven't had a whole lot of chance to discuss it here, and we won't, but we'll get back to it hour number three. But uh, Tyler Buckner was absolutely horrific horrific tommy reese the the play calling didn't make any sense the offensive line is atrocious and the only answer at this point uh for better or for worse 
I think you ride and die with Jalen Milrow this year. I think that much was was. Uh, I think most of us would agree on that. And if you don't, we certainly want to hear from you during the course of the show. Defense, the p- defense played played well. Penalties still plague this team. Kool Aid made a huge mistake on the punt return, um, and fumbling the ball. Caden Proctor uh, continues to get beat like he stole something. Um, you know, you name it. We the defense r- jumped off sides. They ultimately, uh, South Florida got a first down. I mean, it just, it's a comedy of errors, man. We'll switch gears. We talk Auburn. Bill Cameron joins us next. Dean Wade at 8 o'clock. Mike Rodak on Alabama at 8.30. Continue with your comments on the app at WNSP.com. Better yet, come and see us at Baumhauer's Victory Grill at the Shop to Bel Air. Looking left. Now he's going to take off. Thorne found the seam and he gets to the end zone. All right, 7.32 here on a Monday morning quarterback edition of the opening kickoff. Mark and Lee broadcasting from Baumhauer's Victory Grill. Come on by and see him. If you don't have time to come see us for complimentary beignets and complimentary coffee this morning, make sure you come by for lunch or even dinner. They'll have both Monday night football games on tonight. Check out the Alabama Hot Chicken from Bob's own personal recipe. You'll want to tackle Baumhauer's Alabama's Hot Chicken, a fresh southern fried chicken breast smothered in a zesty and tangy immune-booting hot sauce. Uh, Check it out. Serve with a side of homemade smoked Gouda cheese grits, Miss Mary's Southern Greens, and garlic bread. Like they like to say over here, legendary fun, legendary food. Well, obviously, we didn't have a chance to see Auburn play this week. Uh, they played uh, Sanford. It was not a televised game. It was streaming. So maybe somebody out there did. We were efforting to try to get Bill Cameron from uh, Talk Radio up at Auburn to uh, join us to kind of give us his feel. Is this Auburn team ready for SEC competition when they go to Texas A&M this coming Saturday? It's 11 o'clock game. I know their quarterback, uh, Thorne, had, had big numbers. But, again, I – how does that equate from Samford to the SEC? Yeah, and so it's hard to gauge because I don't know if they're, like, working on things or, or – and, and I guess, Bill, this might be – thank you uh, thank you for joining us here on WNSP. This is probably the first question I have for you. How much of that offense was kind of maybe baffling to you and how much of it was maybe we're just kind of working on some things? There were a couple drives where they threw the ball, like, three straight times inside the ten. Um, and, and didn't get a whole lot out of it. How much of that is them just kind of this being a glorified scrimmage? How much of that is them trying to feel out what they're trying to do here? Oh, I think most of it was. Um, that the, the first and goal at the one, when you throw two straight fades, yeah. uh, that, that was, you know, it's like, come on. But that's what they were trying to do. They just wanted to work on throwing the ball. It was, it was a combination. They wanted to throw the ball because they had not really – They've not really been able to uh, to really do that that much. They've been able to run the ball pretty well the first couple of ball games, uh, but but they really.
really wanted to work on passing. Hugh Freeze had talked last week about needing to see some receivers step up and wanted to see more from Peyton Thorne. So that's what they did. And then Samford, uh, Samford sort of made it easier uh, by when you want to run RPO, if you've got eight guys in the box, well, the thing you need to do is throw the ball. So they did. But, yeah, it was a little uh, frustrating to see two straight, two straight fades thrown on first and goal from the one-yard line. Bill Cameron, radio talk show host for a number of years up there in the Auburn area. So from what you could tell, and again, it is Sanford, not to put them down. They're a very fine FCS school. But does this game really get Auburn ready for SEC competition? Uh, well, no. I mean, the, it, it gives them some practice against somebody other than themselves trying to throw the ball. And, and it was good seeing a couple of the other receivers be able to step up and make some plays. I mean, Jay Fair has proven he's one of the go-to guys. Javarius Johnson, who uh, probably could have played but was held out, is another one. Those are the only two guys that they've had confidence in among the receivers. And then Rivaldo Fairweather. So they need to find some guys on the outside. Shane Hooks. Uh, has definitely has has the potential. He has got the size. He's got huge hands, um, and he caught three passes, I believe, on Saturday. They're going to need to be able to do that. Tell you one thing, I'm a little concerned about is you would feel like you should be able to just line up and anytime you want to run, even if they've got seven or eight in the box in an FCS school, you'd be able to run it. But the running backs only had 86 yards on 30 carries, so that's something that's a bit of concern against the Texas A and M. Very talented defensive front. I think it's going to be quite the challenge for the offensive line. And I think right now the biggest the biggest question for Auburn is how healthy are they going to be going in? You know, they they had a couple of offensive linemen, Cam Stutz left on the first after the first series. Uh and Miller left the ball game and, and did not come back either. That's two of their starting five on the offensive line. And they've got quite a few defensive guys banged up. Donovan Kaufman didn't play after getting a concussion in the Cal game. Keontae Stark only uh, Keontae Scott only played the first series. They've got linebacker issues with uh, with injuries. That's that to me is the biggest concern they have. If they're not healthy, they're not the deepest team anyway. Talk about uh, Thorne and his game and how, from the number of quarterbacks that have come through Auburn. Does he remind you of anybody? Uh, what did he bring to the table? Uh, you know, he's, he, he sort of reminds me uh, of, of Jarrett Stidham. He may be um, a little faster. I mean, he's, he, I, think he's, I think he surprised some people with his wheels on Saturday. But uh, he, he's a guy that can, can make all the throws. He doesn't have, you know, the, the biggest arm you'll ever see. But, but he's, uh, in practice, he's shown he's a, he's a very accurate guy. Now, he's got he's to cut down on the interceptions. I know that uh, Hugh, Hugh said after the ball game, he thought that interception in the end zone after the two, uh, after the first and goal fades from the one when they got the procedure penalty and moved, moved them back out to the five, he thought that wasn't necessarily a bad pass. I didn't think it was a great pass. He's got to make sure he doesn't turn the ball over. I mean, that's got to be a key. Uh, but but I, I think he's uh, I think he's got a lot of of the uh, characteristics we saw in Jarrett Stidham. I mean, he can if they need to throw it, uh, he can do it. He's just you know he's just looking for some guys that can make some plays down the field. Okay, so they didn't use like you said the running game really didn't go where I think Hunter will carry the ball most of the time. Did any other backs get much of a, a say in the game on Saturday? No, it was funny. I mean, uh, that uh, 
leading leading ball carrier by a lot, but they didn't really feature anybody. It's that's another thing. It's tough to uh, tough to expect backs to get a lot of yards if they if they only get a carry occasionally. I really like what we've seen out of Demari Austin thus far this year. Jarquez still looks like he's shaking the rust off, and I think he also turned his ankle. Uh, he came back was taped. Uh, had his ankle taped up in the second half, and, and freshman Jeremiah Cobb has really shown a burst. And we saw a couple of plays, and I wonder if they're doing that just to give A&M a little bit more. Uh, I was a little surprised, but um, the, the jet sweep that we haven't seen in a few years, one of Gus's staples uh, with Jeremiah Cobb, looks like it could be uh, it could be a dangerous play too. So I think you're going to see some things this week with those running backs where you're going to see a couple of them on the field at one time, one in the slot perhaps coming in that jet sweep motion while they've got another one in there. And um, I, I think that is probably the best position on the team as far as talent and depth as running back. Three wins, okay. How many do you, from what you've seen so far, Bill, how many wins can Auburn get this year, in your opinion? They're going to have to, they're going to have to win at least one uh, of the next four ball games. This is a really, this is a tough gauntlet they've got coming up here with at A&M, Georgia, at LSU, and Ole Miss, the next four. I, th I think they need to win at least one of those. I think, the, you know, right now, just from what we've seen, if they can stay healthy, they should they should be uh, able to beat Mississippi State at home, and then they'll beat New Mexico, so they've got to win at least one of these next four to get them bowl eligible. If they win, if they, if they at least split the next four, then, uh, then, then, they, then they can win at least seven, and who knows, who knows what to expect down the stretch uh, a little later on, but this is, this is the most critical uh, part of the uh, season right here, this next four games if, if they could go on the road and right now I understand why they're a seven and a half eight point underdog to Texas A&M if they if they were able to go out to College Station and come back with a win then then this team uh, could be a lot better than than any of us had thought heading in hey Bill thank you so much for jumping aboard with us man it should be a fun week uh, leading up to the game and let's do it again soon all right guys anytime yep that's Bill Cameron ladies and gentlemen Many years ago, uh, my dentist, who's a family friend, uh, recommended that I needed dental implants. And I'm like, what? What are those? And so he sent me to Dr. Christopher Mullinix. Well, I certainly know a lot about dental implants now after having at least seven done. I highly recommend uh, Dr. Christopher Mullinix at Mobile Oral and Facial Surgery. Uh, here are some of the reasons why. Uh, they're very professional. Uh, very personable process was a breeze a uh, little waiting in the uh, waiting room little paperwork that always uh, gets to me having to fill out five or ten sheets in a waiting room I did not have to do that there and then the staff was so personable and so forth plus the next day very little discomfort no pain at all so if you have any kind of oral surgery i highly recommend mobile oral and facial surgery they're located at 715 downtown or boulevard they do take same day appointments at 471 3381 and mobile oral and facial surgery will be our title sponsor when we go out to mary g montgomery thursday and to sarah land on friday all right the high school game day five and one on the year we took our first loss but uh, I feel like we're going to rebound nicely this week, so I, I like our chances. I do, too. All right. It's going to be a tough week. We're getting back to basics, though, Lee. We're going to get back to basics. Keep it simple. That's what we're doing. And so that's what uh, 
Maybe we got a little too big for our britches. That's okay. Sorry, we just have to recalibrate. It's all right. So here's the deal. Then we just have to be careful next time to make sure we don't go out to any team that's playing Sarah Lamb. Is that pretty? No, good? no, no, no. That's not at all. We not just have all? to. We have to. We have to decide who we're going to play at quarterback. We can't let the outside noise bother us. Ah, I see. You I know, see we can't that. be putting backups in, and you know, our offensive line's got to got to play better. Can't have stupid pre-snap penalties. I wonder. You know, all the things that plague all the teams that we Nick talk Saban, about. Nick in all his years, and I go back to LSU, Michigan State. Toledo has ever been in a situation like this going into game four and not knowing who his number one quarterback is. Oh, I think it's pretty obvious who it is. I think he knows. I think he knows. The the bigger question, and you brought this up earlier, the bigger question is why did they not put Jalen Milrow back in that ball game or in that ball game at any point, especially when they saw they couldn't block anybody, put him in, let him do his thing, Get out of Tampa and recalibrate or whatever. But and then if I'm Nick Saban, the first thing I do uh, when I get in is I'm calling Tommy Reese into the to the office. Mark, I don't think it's. And I, mean, I, I say either you get your stuff together or, or we'll help you oh, pack. You don't think they were together in the airplane coming I'm, back? I'm not a I'm not a huge like coordinator conspiracy guy. But after what I saw in Tampa, come on, dude. I think you weren't the only Dude's one. Dude's on rookie league, on rookie mode over there in Madden calling plays. Like, what, what, what are you trying to accomplish? Like, clearly, clearly there are protection issues. And, look, Saban talked about how the, I think he used the word exotic, the exotic blitz packages and pressure packages, and they didn't do a good job of picking it up. Well, get him out of the, po- get him out of the pocket. Move him out. Move some stuff. Be quicker. Run some screens. Do something. They, I mean, the running game was, was working, but we just – we sit there and we watch these guys sit in the pocket trying to make plays, and there's just no time. And Buckner, by the way, was atrocious. Like, I don't know how a quarterback that played at Notre Dame has got a shot to play for Alabama, goes out there and, and does what he did. I mean, you that's like me going out there and playing quarterback. I'm a 47-year-old man, and, and I'm sure of that, dude. I could have I could have half thrown it and thrown it in the dirt too. I mean, if you're looking for somebody to put on a skyly, sign me up. Give me my stipend. I'll go out there and throw it in the dirt. And you used up your eligibility at Alabama too, right? No, I haven't used a stitch of it yet. I'm still eligible. You are eligible. Is that because of COVID? No, I could probably get a COVID year. I'm definitely going to need a medical red shirt. I can almost guarantee that. But I, I can get out there and do it. I don't. I don't follow. X, but I'm sure you do. Is it the uh, have they been ranting and raving about Tommy Reese as offensive coordinator? Oh, I think there's a lot on that. Is there's, there? There's a lot on that. Uh, more so than there's Bill a lot O'Brien, of meat on that bone. More so than when they did with Bill O'Brien and and I mentioned uh, about Central Michigan coming into South Alabama this week. Jim McElwain was an offensive coordinator with uh, yeah. Nick. There's been a bunch of them. I'll tell you, and I'm sure they've all heard. It. But how about has anybody had it any worse though than Pete Golding, who is now the defensive coordinator for Ole Miss? Um, as a coordinator, as far as criticism from the fans, it's still early. And in I know the when that Reese regime. Yeah, it's true. And I remember when Golding went. The, the 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 thinking was that he just wanted to get away from all this, and or and and he may have gotten a better offer from Lane Kiffin to come over money wise, but he just you know probably wanted to get get all this behind him and not have to listen to all this stuff that was going on. All right, here we go. Uh, we're going to step aside. Uh, we're going to get away from the negative. Let's be a little more positive. we got WNSP's Team of the Day next. How about that? Uh, I mean, you want to talk about a five-star reversal. 
athlete, not not a specific position, just athlete, can play anywhere on the field. We're going to talk about that. Uh, coming up at 8 o'clock, Dean Waite's going to join us. Uh, we have a number of calls to, uh, to go over with Dean from uh, Saturday's games. So let's wrap up hour number two next right here on the Sports Station. It's our Monday morning quarterback edition of the opening kickoff from Baumhauer's Victory Grill. We're at the Shops of Bel Air. Jason's in the house. I think he's eyeing some beignets over there and some coffee. So uh, come on by and join us right here on the Sports Station, WNSP. Hey, this is Slick Willie Shaw from the world-famous Harlem Globetrotters. You're listening to Sports Radio WNSP 105.5 FM. All right, 7.50, and we're wrapping up hour number two here on a very busy Monday morning edition of the Monday morning quarterback edition of the opening kickoff. Mark and Lee were Bomb Howard's Victory Grill. You heard the voice already. Man, WNSP's team of the day, Presley Roofing. Now, not only a great home team, but George Spurlock is here. He travels. He comes on the road with us. When we're on location, there's not a better team in the area, man. How are you? Doing great. How about you guys? You play hard at home. You go on the road. You take care of business. That's right. You, you go wherever we go. Whatever we have to do. All right. So, obviously, when it comes to uh, roofing, there's there's buzzword out there today. Fortified roof. What? does that mean? Yeah, so several years ago, the insurance companies kind of devised a scheme to try to uh, see if they can minimize the amount of claims that would happen after a storm. And so they created a program where if you get a fortified roof, which has a lot more of stringent requirements uh, on the uh, install of the roof, that they will actually give you a, a discount on your homeowner's insurance. Okay. And so that's really, really, we hear that probably eight out of every 10 customers that I talk to ask about a fortified roof. Now, it's not for everybody. Um, It depends on that discount because the new city codes and county codes that are happening for roofing now are are so strict that they're they're nearly identical to the fortified roof. But if you can get that discount, certainly uh, I would suggest that you give us a call so we can talk you through that process and see if that's for you. All right, so we've been very fortunate, knock on wood, in this area. It's a, it's a busy time of year, not just because of college football. It's that other season that's right. kind of sitting out there, and we're kind of waiting. Uh, but you guys, uh, you talk to every customer that calls, right. but you can also come out and make sure that we, you don't have to wait for there to be damage. You can do some things to make sure that people are prepared for hurricane season. Right. I'm actually, there's, I have two calls to go on today to do that very thing, to just kind of do an inspection, see the state of the roof, see if there are any high-risk areas that need attention so that if, if God forbid, a storm comes, and you know at some point it will, even if it's a tropical storm, that uh, that the roof can withstand you know as best as possible. Uh, minimizing the damage. All right, so how can people get in touch with you and Presley Roofing? What's the easiest way to do it? The best way is to call the great Samantha. Okay. Right, 251-457-6598. Our website is presleyroofinginc.com. Our Facebook page is Presley underscore roofing. All right, so make sure you give George a call. Uh, call presleyroofinginc.com or check it out. Uh, it's 457-6598. Uh, Presley Roofing, WNSP's Team of the Day. Thank you, George. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, guys. Uh, all right, you guys can jump in on the on the mess that is Alabama football. Uh, you want to talk some Jags, unbelievable win by them. We're going to talk about some very controversial stuff uh, as far as calls coming up here in our next hour with uh, Dean Waite in our Wait for the Call segment. But now 
we're, we're open for you guys. 694-1055, that is the number. Uh, you guys can jump in. Uh, what is, Lee, what is Alabama's single biggest problem? We've talked about line, penalties, quarterback play, offensive coordinator, you know, turnovers, whatever. What is it? What's the if there's one, one thing you got to fix? Okay, there's well, one would be the offensive line, one ace quarterback because they go hand in hand, and obviously, you know, it's easy to throw dirt at the quarterback because they're not doing the job, but the offensive line is not giving them enough time. Therefore, they're not Alabama did not on Saturday utilize the quarterback who could best deal with the fact that uh, they're having problems with the defensive line. I. I It'd be hard-pressed for me to say one's worse than the other, but quarterback, offensive line right now, defense played well. I mean, you know, there's still penalties, which is an issue. Two touchdowns were called back. I mean, you know, that that can't be happening uh, when you get into SEC play. But uh, And then again, you know, we've talked about this to our listeners. I don't see why they even benched Milrow to begin with, uh, and I certainly hope that, they go back to him because I think he's the only one of the quarterbacks that I've seen that can handle what's going on with the line. So I, I can see why. From a fan's perspective, from a media perspective, I, I understand exactly why they went away from Milrow because based on what we've seen, and Milrow's the only one we've really seen, those missed throws, those missed opportunities, that's not something that Alabama fans are used to seeing based on the quarterbacks that have come through this program in the last five or six years. Now, if Nick Saban would have been a little more upfront and open and honest about the quarterback situation in those comments leading up to the change, perhaps there never would have been a change, right? There wouldn't have been a clamoring for it. Alabama fans would have been would have known that Tyler Buckner's not ready because the whole time we're making this they're making this whole argument that it's a really competitive it's not. It's not competitive at all with the quarterback race. And so they, they created a little bit of a false narrative there. And that's why I think people are screaming for a quarterback change after the Texas game because everybody's under the assumption based on Nick Saban's comments that this is actually a competitive quarterback race. Well, I, I wasn't as down on Milrow as others were. Yes, he made mistakes, but, I mean, it was only, what, his second or third start. And the, the thing that impressed me that he was able to make uh, big plays out of disaster, you know, low snaps, things like that, and despite the lack of protection against and, – and, again, we don't know how – is Texas really a top-four team by the end of the year? And if they're in the college football playoff and then we're looking back on this, then, then how bad or how good was Milrow against Texas? Because right now they're ranked number three if you want to buy into that. I thought he was okay in the sense that he's still up and coming. He was young. Yeah, he makes mistakes, but there were mistakes galore around the offense to begin with. And I believe that didn't, wasn't there a two touchdowns call back in that game too, Mark, I the Texas so, yeah. game. Okay. So that's why I was a little surprised when the award came out on Friday that they were going to Buckner because then all of a sudden you start worrying about the mindset you bench Milrow and then what's going through his mind. Like is his career finished at Alabama. Should he start talking about transferring? Why am I being replaced? Are these guys that much better? And firsthand, it didn't look like that on Saturday. I will say this. I thought uh, I thought Jalen Milrow, when they did show him, uh, was doing all the right things, saying all the right things, acting the right way. He was being supportive. He, I think he was one of the guys that went out there and, and, and congratulated uh, Ty Simpson, who, by the way, I think will ultimately be 
a very capable quarterback. Not, yeah, but for who? I'm not sure he will be, but, Mark. But I'm not sure. All I'm saying is I think Jalen Milrow is showing the type of qualities you want to see a guy that's been put in that position. Uh, so if you're looking for a, a silver lining there, that I think is clearly yeah, the case. I've heard, like, and again, you hear stuff we don't know, we haven't seen. We've heard that Simpson may be the best passer. We've also heard that Longer and the freshman may be the best passer. But again, if you don't have any time to throw the football and if you can't make decisions very quickly. Now, the one thing about Milrow, he did throw the long ball pretty nicely against Texas. His short game may be not quite as good. But the fact is that if there is a busted play, He's the only quarterback I've seen that can make something out of it. All right, so uh, you guys can continue to chime away in the app on that. Uh, Dean Waite will join us. We'll also do an, uh, another segment of Naming It, Alec Naming's catering party. We uh, gave the first one away on Friday. We will qualify another nine of you starting today. That will happen in hour number three. And then Mike Rodak on Alabama. He was at. He was in Tampa. Uh, we will talk about the game and all the issues we've been batting around all day. Reminder, though, you need to come out here to Baumhauer's Victory Grill. Uh, they're working on some uh, some some beignets now for, for Jason, who popped in here. But also, if you can't come out tonight or today, come on out tonight. We've got doubleheader Monday night football action, including Saints Carolina. Uh, there are a number of great deals out here. Uh, and Baumhauer's is ready for football. You heard it. Food, uh, great fun, the whole deal, the big game headquarters. they got a great menu over here. Uh, you can get all sorts of uh, great stuff. Uh, Lee mentioned the all-new lemon garlic salmon. Uh, they got the char-grilled flat iron Callaway steak complemented with their signature shrimp etouffee. A lot of great items out here and uh, plenty of TVs. They have got more than 70 TVs at this location alone. But I've heard they may need some more. Yeah. So uh, come on out and see them if you can't come by this morning. All right. Dean Wade is next. Wait for the call. Here it is right here on the sports station, WNSP. This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all sports radio station, 105.5 FM, WNSP, and on the Sound of Mobile app. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim, Lee Shervanian, and Michael Brauner. The opening kickoff. Here are Mark, Lee, and Michael. All right, welcome back in. 8.05, hour number three, our Monday morning quarterback edition of the opening kickoff continues from Baumhauer's Victory Grill at the Shops of Bel Air. The doors are open for you. Complimentary coffee and beignets, and they do smell good. You know, we often talk about uh, wait for the call and, and Dean Waite, but we're not going to wait. We Usually we, we catch up to Dean on Fridays out at Dean Waite Associates for our Friday football preview, but, Mark, we decided to go ahead and book him today because so much happened over the weekend. Dean, welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you today? Good. Good morning, gentlemen. How y'all doing? Good. Uh, for those who don't know, Dean was an SEC official for four years prior to that, officiated uh, high school football and college football. Dean, I, I'm, the one thing I was going to ask you was a, a call that was not made, but again, you and I have talked about this, and uh, it happened earlier this year in the Florida-Utah game where a penalty because two guys were wearing the same number. I was led to believe uh, after the game, the one won by Missouri uh, on the last second field goal, the 61-yarder, that 
flags were thrown, but they were directed at Kansas State. And not much was made about this because the, the crowd exploded on the field and it would have been a nightmare to try. And, and that's where I also, also want to go uh, with this, too. But the, a call would have been made had it gone against Missouri of having two players on the field. This was Kansas State with the same number. Uh, and, right. and I've asked you before. I have never heard of this call until the Florida-Utah game. Have you been involved in games where a team is penalized for the same, same having the same number on the field at the same time? Yeah, no, not that I, not that I can remember. I mean, you know, you've got same numbers all over rosters, but obviously they just can't. If they're on the field at the same time, it's a penalty. When the ball snapped, you can't have two players with the same number. The reason that it was called, but because. It was because it was against Kansas State. Missouri's field goal was good. It was going to be declined anyway, so there's no reason to even, you know, fool with it. So, um, but yeah, it's 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 weird. I mean, we've seen it twice now, and that's something I don't recall seeing ever in the past five or ten years. I don't think. Well, I'm sure I see. I'm sure Missouri's going to get fined for the way that the, the fans came on the field. But let's uh, say the call was against Missouri. How with, with that many people on the field? Could they have cleared it? Would they have continued the game? I, I was curious about that because that place was just flooded with people. Yeah, no. I mean, if it, if it had gone against Missouri, they would have had to have cleared the field because obviously Kansas State's going to accept that penalty, make them re-kick. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it would have been an absolute nightmare, but it would have been enforced. It might have taken about 15 minutes. but. <laughs> All right, he's Dean Wade. So while we're talking about field goals, let's let's let me ask you about what happened in Iowa State's game, uh, in which they lost to Ohio, where a Iowa State kicked a field goal. Based on the replay, Dean, it looked like the field goal was good. The officials called it wide. Did you get a chance to yeah. see that video? And and how one? How does that happen? And and is there any way to correct something like that? Yeah, so um, first of all, let's. I want to clear up a misnomer. I think a lot of people think that if the ball goes over the top of the upright, it, it's good. That ball has to be 100% inside of the upright to be a, a good field goal, okay? And so, you know, I don't. it was hard to tell from the rear view. It looked like the ball was probably all the way inside, but that official – is literally looking straight up at, the, at that upright, yeah. and so he has a much better angle than we do from any from any camera to determine if it's good or not. Now it is reviewable, so field goal attempts are reviewable if uh, the ball is ruled either below or above the crossbar. Okay, you can re- you can review that. It's also reviewable inside or outside the uprights, but. It's only reviewable in that scenario if the ball is below the top of the uprights. Okay, and so in this scenario, that ball was above the top of the upright, so I don't think they could have reviewed that. And you just have to go with the guy who has the the, the absolute best angle on that, and he ruled it uh, no good, I think, but probably because that ball did not go entirely inside of the upright. Right. All right, so let's move on. I want to get your thoughts on um, a little bit of, I think, a controversial play, LSU-Mississippi State. Sean Preston was ejected for targeting on what was a monster hit on Jaden Daniels. Uh, So Preston was gone, ejected. Right call or wrong call there? That was a correct call. I think people, 
you know, confused tourney. They, they think it has to be in the head or neck area. Well, it doesn't. What they got him for was leading with the crown of his helmet. I mean, he clearly crouched down, lowered his head, and launched with the crown of his helmet into into the player's midsection. So that is targeting. Um, All right, so you've got let, to me, have, let me if, you, if it's the crown of the helmet, you got to have one element of targeting. And so what we had there was the crouch and the upward thrust into the into the body. All right, let me play devil's advocate with you right here for a second because I feel like what he was trying to do, and I, you know, I what do I know? I'm not in the kid's head, but you know, guys generally right. are told or instructed to kind of break down, get your head across the body, right, and kind right. of wrap up. And I feel like because it was a bang bang play. I don't know if he was actually putting his head down to hit him or be, or that he was literally trying to get his head kind of around the body. Yeah. Now, I, I understand your point about the crown of the helmet, so he's got to get his head up for sure. I just felt like maybe that was a little bit excessive. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. When I, I, didn't, I did not see it live, Mark. When I went back and looked at it, I had zero problem with the call. I mean, it, okay. it, to me... I mean, he just went right into his center mass with the crown of the helmet. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, maybe he was trying to get the helmet on the side of the body. I don't know. He did a really poor job of it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I, was okay. I was okay with the call. <laughs> okay. So while we're talking about that type of call, why wasn't the, uh, the Colorado in the Colorado-Colorado State game when Travis Hunter got knocked yeah. out, why wasn't that kid called for – why wasn't he ejected? Um, it probably well, – was, was it targeting? No, so it was definitely not targeting. I mean, he he went into Hunter's midsection with his shoulder pad or arm, whatever. I mean, it was clearly not. There was no there was no crown of the helmet. Then there was no head or neck area contact. Okay, what that was to me was a what we call a flagrant foul, which mandates ejection. And a flagrant foul is you know basically. Contact is so extreme or deliberate that it places an opponent in, in danger of extreme injury. Okay, but I don't think there's any doubt that he was trying to uh, that he was trying to hurt that kid. I mean, it was it was yeah. Well after the play, I mean, he went after him. He he target. I mean, well, I say target, not in the foul sense of the word targeting, but I mean, he targeted him and and, and was going after him. I mean, it, it couldn't have been any clearer. So I, I think it met the flagrant foul definition that would have warranted an ejection. We're talking with Dean Wade, former SEC official. So uh, staying with the same game, I believe there was like eight or nine personal fouls called against Colorado State. Do officials during a game, will they go over to a coach, a head coach, and say enough's enough, so let's stop this nonsense? Do you, does that rhetoric ever take place? Absolutely, but m most of the time what you do is you go to the captains. You get the captains and say, guys, you know, you, you bring them together. Say, guys, you got to talk to your team. This is getting out of hand. We're not going to put up with any more of it. We'll start ejecting players. Uh, and, and obviously, you would talk to the coach as well. Um, but, yeah, that happens a lot. Uh, and, and, it, and it's usually effective. I mean, once you get – once you talk to the coach and the captains, you can get those guys to talk to their teammates. Normally, it will calm things down. I mean, you, you just knew, though, you knew going into that game that there was just going to be a bunch of – stuff they were going to have to deal with. There was just so much talking beforehand, and, you know, it's just, anyway, they, and, and, and they, they tried to get on it, you know, stay on top of it from the beginning. It's just sometimes it's hard when emotions are so high. Okay, so, Dean, let's, speaking of emotions being high, let's roll over to the Florida-Tennessee game. So, at the end of that game, 
Florida's looking on the final play. They're trying to kill some clock. So he goes to take a knee, but he's not really taking a knee. And every time someone gets close, he makes like he's going to take a knee. And then they back up. So he's running around. So finally, someone hits him as he's taking a knee. And all hell breaks loose. There's a flag thrown. Right. I'm kind of partial to the defense on this. Either go down or not, but if you play that game, yeah. I feel like you run the risk of getting hit. Did the did the referees call that one right? I think I think technically it was a personal foul. I mean, he, he the, the LS, excuse me, the Tennessee player hit him after he'd taken a knee. Now the quarterback brought that on himself. I mean, I'm just telling you, if you like you just said, Mark, if you're going to run around back there and play games and not just go down on your knee immediately. You know, you're taking the risk of that happening. Now, now the Tennessee guy's got to have more self-control. I mean, once he went down and was taken and took that knee, he didn't need to hit him. I mean, I think they got that call correct. But it, that's just, you know, I mean, that's just the quarterback being silly. I mean, you know, he could have been injured on that play. Just get the butt snap and go down and take a knee yeah. and be done with it. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. All right, and then earlier in that game, and and then all hell broke loose. Right now, that you got a couple guys like literally <laughs> boxing, uh, and things just got right. way out of hand. But so earlier in that game, uh, there was a situation where um, the ball, the referee kind of inadvertently kicked the ball, and they had to respot it yeah. on a crucial conversion play that allowed. Uh, I think it was a fourth and one that allowed Florida, yeah. which was a heads up move by them to get their guys out there and sub late where they wouldn't have had a chance because right. Tennessee was going tempo. And Tennessee fans went nuts. Right. And, of course, Florida stopped them from converting the fourth and one. Is that just yeah. kind of a mistake you can't really – I mean, that's just kind of how it – there's nothing really to rectify there, Man, right? It, right. It, that just kind of falls under the it is what it is category. I mean, you know, the guy didn't intentionally kick the ball. But, you know, that's the risk that – these teams like Tennessee run when they're trying to run a play every 10 seconds and everybody's scrambling around like crazy people, you know, something like that's going to happen. The guy, the center judge is trying to back out of there as quickly as he can. He just inadvertently hit the ball. It's got to be re-spotted. I mean, you can't, you know, you can't just snap it from wherever it lands after it's been kicked or whatever. So, you know, and Florida, listen, Florida substituted, but they did that at their own risk. I mean, you know, Tennessee could have snapped the ball uh, at any point while those guys were running in um, because there wasn't – it wasn't a stoppage because Tennessee had substituted. It was a stoppage, you know, because the ball got kicked. So they kind of did that at their own risk. It worked out for Florida in the end, but it was a weird play. Yeah. Hey, Dean, great stuff as always, man. I always appreciate you coming to the rescue for us. Absolutely, guys. Thank you. Yep, that's Dean Waite, ladies and gentlemen. Wait for the call. Always good stuff. Always something to talk about when it comes to officials and games going on. So we appreciate that. All right, scoreboard traffic and weather when we come back. You'll have a chance to uh, get qualified for the Alec Naiman Catering Party of up to 20 or 18, me and Lee, with another episode of Naming It. And then, of course, at 8.30, Mike Rodak will talk some Alabama. Continue with your comments in the app at WNSP.com. It's our Monday morning quarterback edition, broadcasting from Baumhauer's Victory Grill right here on the sports station, WNSP. Hi, this is Jim Brando of Fox Sports telling everyone along the Gulf Coast in Mobile, listen to the opening kickoff with Mark and Lee on 105.5 WNSP.
here on this Monday morning quarterback edition of the opening kickoff. We're going to give you a shot at qualifying for an Alec Naiman catering party of up to 20 or 18 me and Lee with another edition of Naming It. That's right. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to play an audio clip. It could be a person, place, or thing. All you have to do is be the first one to call Michael Bronner at 694-1055. Tell him exactly what is on that clip. In fact, I think we're going to do this one on the air just for fun. Uh, so here it is. Take a listen to whatever this is. <laughs> All right, that's it. What is it? What, who, where, why, what? I don't know. Rack them. Here we go, 694-1055. Tell us what that is, and you will be the first to be qualified in round two of the Alec Naiman catering party of up to 20 or 18, me and Lee. Mike Rodak's going to join us here in about uh, four or five minutes or so. We'll try to unpack everything that took place in Tampa over the weekend uh, so let's go to the phones. Alden, welcome to WNSP. What is it that we just heard? We heard Kawhi Leonard's weird laugh. Indeed we did. That was Kawhi Leonard's Kawhi weird Leonard's laugh. Leonard's that is well done, sir. So congratulations to you. Stay on the line, and you will be the first qualifier for the next round of um, Alec Naiman's Catering Party. We will announce that a week from Friday. Man, I gotta get tougher on these. Yeah, I, I, I heard, I heard laughter. I couldn't hear it as well. I thought maybe that was some uh, Georgia or Auburn fans laughing at the Alabama quarterbacks, wow. but I wasn't sure about that. Wow, Shervanian bringing the smoke today. But how about Kawhi Leonard though? I, where'd that come out? Where'd you get? You, it's just a random thought today. I don't wow, know. where'd you get that one from? Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's widely known that he has the like most ridiculous laugh this side of Eddie Murphy. So. Uh, but you know, this is why you can't do the obvious stuff with our listeners. They're too sharp. We gotta, we gotta start mixing it up. I mean, I don't know. We'll have to have like, we'll have to play video of Beatles or not the Beatles, a Beetle or something, a mosquito or something. I don't know. We'll have to figure it out. Well, well done. Congratulations. Um, you guys can jump in if you want to join the conversation. Six nine four one zero five five. That's the number. You know, you on the Dean Wait, the guy that hit. Travis Hunter? Yeah. Would you go along with he should be basically sit him down as long as it takes Hunter to get back on the field? Uh, and I don't know how long Hunter's going to be. They never, at least I didn't hear, reveal the extent of his injury. It's, it's too bad because they're playing Oregon this week, and if ever they need it. I mean, because when you take Hunter out of the lineup, you're taking two players out of the lineup. You're taking a defensive back and a wide receiver. Yeah, and he went to the hospital. Yes, he uh, did. For that. Yeah, and I believe after the uh, the hit, he did play a little bit, but they never revealed the extent. And now they're saying it'll be weeks before he comes back. My point is, should the player who hit him, yeah, be also uh, we, sit him down? Yeah, we've had these type of conversations with guys in the past. I don't, I don't know if I necessarily subscribe well, to that. The part about where Dean said it was obvious he was trying to hurt him. Yeah. that's what bothers me. Right. Look, you're gonna. I know it's a violent game. You're gonna have injuries, but I don't. Most of the time, you don't get the feeling that the player, the opposing player, was trying to injure and put the other guy out. Somehow, some way, if Dean picks up that this was an intent to hurt. All right, we come back. We'll uh, switch gears. We'll talk Alabama. Mike Rodak set to join us here on WNSP. It's our Monday morning quarterback edition from Baumhauer's Victory Grill right here on the sports station WNSP.
And I know you're going to ask me about quarterback, but we're going to evaluate the quarterbacks that played today and evaluate Jamin Milrow in terms of how he played and uh, decide, you know, this week who gives us the best opportunity to, to be successful as an offensive team, and that's the way we'll go. So everybody. Hey, it's 832. That's the voice of Alabama coach Nick Saban after the Alabama Crimson Tide won against South Florida. Hey, the word you beat them bad there, 17-3. to They destroyed South Florida. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, Mike Rodak will help us out 24-7. He was there to see the Alabama quarterback charade uh, this week. So, good morning, Mike. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah, I was when I was writing my stories after the game. I had to make sure that I was writing a win. Like it felt like my brain wanted to write loss, and I just wanted okay. to make sure that I didn't get that part wrong. Okay, there used to be a, a show like uh, the first curtain, second curtain, third curtain. So, who would you designate as the Alabama quarterback against Ole Miss this coming Saturday, if you had the say in it? I think if it's anybody but Jalen Milrow, I would be really surprised. Um, you know, I think. This and you can you know assign different motives or what exactly Saban was thinking. I, I I think at the end of the day we have three games that have revealed something about all three quarterbacks and based on what we've seen, I think Jalen Murrow's played the best or at least put them in in the best position to win the Ole Miss game. Um, that doesn't mean that it's great. It doesn't mean that Saban you know, didn't legitimately bench him against, you know, South Florida. But I think this is a situation where, you know, your back's against the wall. You have a top 15 team coming in. Um, and, you know, you, you really need to win this game. And I, I ranked the SEC games that they have to play this year. And this could be their toughest. I mean, Ole Miss is a really good team. I think obviously LSU is too. And, you know, maybe Tennessee's, you know, rebounds. But right now, trying to go from where they've been the last two weeks to beating a top 15 team in a matter of six or seven days, that's that's a big jump, uh, which is why I think this is the toughest one, and I think you go with the safest option to build up. All right, so what was, what was up with Tyler Buckner? Is he just not good at football? Uh, was he nervous? Like it was a big moment for him? I can't believe that was the point. The kid played at Notre Dame. Like he was – it wasn't that he was ineffective, Mike. It was, he was just bad. He wasn't good. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there might be truth to just kind of that's where he is and that's what he is. And, um, you know, he hasn't played a ton of football. I think that's that's kind of the thing with him is he played at a really small school in San Diego and just absolutely tore it up his junior year of high school. Um, but he had missed his sophomore season of high school with an injury that he suffered basically the first series of the season. And then he didn't play his senior season of high school because of COVID. And then he didn't really play a ton at Notre Dame because his first year he was on the bench. And then the second year he got hurt and was out basically until the bowl game. So the actual amount of football that he's played is not great. Um, and I think all of the recruiting rankings and the scouting reports on him are all based on his junior season of high school, which at this point is four or five years away or, or in, in, in the past at this point. Um, right. So, yeah, I, maybe the rankings were just wrong. Maybe the scouting reports were just wrong. I, he's, he's not big. His arm isn't great. I think there's issues with his delivery. He's a decent athlete. I think he can move around a little bit. Um, I think coaches like his his football mind um but 
against the South Florida defense or that you know gave up a lot more points and yards to an FCS quarterback a week ago, he didn't look good. And you can blame the weather. That was like one drive that he had to deal with the, the downpour. The rest of it, he was you know the weather was fine. You can blame the offensive line. I think you know maybe that's part of it a little bit. But he didn't take a sack. Just throwing the football from point A to point B was an issue, and that's obviously alarming. Do you have an issue with the play calling of the offensive coordinator, Tommy Reese? Play calling is always tricky. Um, it just seems like it just goes from one to the next where people are complaining about Bill O'Brien and now we're, they're complaining about Tommy Reese. And it's always going to be a, an easy target. Um, and it's just really hard to evaluate without knowing the exact play call, what the quarterback was supposed to do, did he do what the play call said, and did the result – was there a different result that the quarterback could have had? Um it's and it changes every play. There could be some plays where the play is fine, you know, play calls fine. The quarterback just doesn't make the throw, or you know, Caden Proctor doesn't block, or you have a penalty and something goes wrong. There's probably other times when a play call doesn't suit, you know, what the defensive alignment is, um, and it just gets blown up, or the play call doesn't suit what the situation is. And again, it's just hard to make any sort of blanket determinations, but it's. I would have expected more given the background and what this whole, like we thought there was going to be synergy between Reese and um, Tyler Buckner because they've worked together before. So (laughs) I don't think we saw any of that. Like there's no signs that these guys were on the same wavelength and, you know, they could just don't run out there and and know exactly what each other is doing. There's, there's none of that. Um, and it looked like, honestly, there was less of that when Jalen Miller was in there, Tommy Reese. So the answer is I don't know um, kind of what to think of the play calling, but it, uh, I think it's safe to say that Bill O'Brien wasn't, you know, the, the biggest problem with the team last year. All right, let me ask you this, Mike. Mike Rodak, 24-7. Can they make changes on the offensive line to better that line? Are, are there people there? Or players there, backups that could move in and do a better job than what we've seen? I mean, Caden Proctor is the big problem area right now. You know, the freshman at left tackle. Um, you know, he was in the competition with Elijah Pritchett through the spring and, and through the fall, and Pritchett kind of faded, and there wasn't a whole lot of question that Proctor would be starting. So you'd think that given the way that Proctor's played, even the first two games, you know, going into the South Florida game, that if they thought Pritchett was better, they would have put him in, even as Proctor was struggling during the South Florida game, that if they thought Pritchett would be better, they would have put him in. But the longer we go with just kind of leaving Caden Proctor out there, the longer it seems like they don't think Pritchett is, is going to be an upgrade. Um, and beyond that, that's, that's all they really have at tackle. I mean, I think Saban going into the year said they had three or four tackles that they feel like could play. I don't really know if they have a fourth. Um, I mean, it's, a, it's younger guys. It's Wilkin Formby and Miles McVeigh, who are both freshmen. And this is where the transfer portal comes in. Like, the portal, Alabama lost Tommy Brockemeyer, who probably wasn't very good, Damian George, who played, Amari Kite, who played through the portal, because those guys were backups at Alabama, and they could go somewhere else and have a chance to start. And that's where the portal has killed Alabama, is losing those those primary depth players that can push the starters. Because right now it's either you have a starter 
and a freshman. And if in this case, they have a freshman and a backup in Elijah Pritchard, who they clearly just don't like right now. So you know, on the inside, yeah, maybe there's you can put Terrence Ferguson, and he was in there against South Florida because Boca was hurt. Beyond that, I don't know if they have a, a fourth inside player that they want to play right now. Mike Rodak with us for another couple minutes here on WNSP. All right, so the, the penalties, the mistakes continue to plague this team. Uh, Kool-Aid had the you know, fumble on the special teams. I don't know what he was thinking there. Uh, they had South Florida fourth and sixth. Deontay Lawson jumped. They, they ultimately got the first down. I mean, the offsetting penalties on the Kool-Aid interception. I mean, I can go on and on and on. This is a problem that continues to plague this team going back to last year, yet Nick Saban can't seem to get his – his uh, a grasp of this deal, like what? How do you, how do you fix it? Well, why can't it be fixed? It's it's incredible, and it's it's one of those things where you know if I asked the question of him today, he'd probably give the answer. If we knew how, we'd we'd already have fixed it, and you know that's what a lot of coaches do say. And it's uh, it's certainly striking that the greatest coach in history of sports hasn't been able to fix what's going on, not just this year, and it's been. I mean, it's been to absurd levels this year with the four touchdowns in two games called back on penalties, plus the, um, the interception by Kool-Aid that was called back on a penalty. Um, and, you know, we had this whole story in the summer of they're going to do up-downs in practice and they're going to get back to discipline, and that's what Kevin Steele was trying to bring. And it, it just, I just don't know what to do, and it's – yeah, you see Saban trying to push different buttons with guys, and he's going to try to be tough on them with the discipline and practice, and sometimes he's going to uplift them, and whatever he's trying right now isn't working. Um, and it just it's one after another, and there's a zero confidence that you go into the next game that it's going to be any different. So another one, I just I don't know the answer with what's wrong, but it's, uh, it's I mean, you feel like it's going to kill them at some point where they're going to lose another game because of that, and when that happens, that that'll be it for this team. I'm wondering also, what if? And again, I, I'm hypothetically, and obviously, you know, you can't ask Saban this because he doesn't like questions on hypothetical. What if Jalen Milrow has a poor first half against Ole Miss? If in fact he starts, then what do they do? I think they're in desperation mode at that point, and I think yeah, you'd have to consider probably Ty Simpson at that point, um, and. I think for Milrow, the biggest thing is going to be avoiding the interceptions because that's, I think, the biggest reason why he didn't play against South Florida um, was what happened, you know, at the two picks against Texas. And if that happens again and you put yourself behind the eight ball against Ole Miss, then I think you go to Simpson or Buckner, which to Buckner's credit, he didn't throw an interception on Saturday. Neither did Ty Simpson. Um, so if you're wanting to avoid that, and then maybe you go to one of the other two guys and try to run the ball and, you know, just get by. And uh, if you can avoid the turnover, you know, maybe that's helpful. But, yeah, I think this is – you kind of have to treat this game as the last game of your season. Um, because if you lose, then that's two losses in the first four games. It hasn't happened in 20 years for Alabama, and that's that's knocking you out of the playoffs. So, um, you know, it's, it's back against the wall sort of game. What impact, if any, do you think Pete Golding – brings to the game as the defensive coordinator for Ole Miss? I think it's you know similar to, not to compare necessarily Steve Sarkeesian to Pete Golding, but I think it's, you, you kind of know what Saban doesn't like. 
Um, so I don't know if it will be as much in what ter- in what Pete's calling on defense for Ole Miss, but I think an informing Lane, and Lane obviously has a, a background of knowledge himself, but you know, kind of what's annoyed Nick Saban the last four years, you know, when Pete's there, and um, how to attack that as an offensive coach, you know, for Lane. So that's I think the biggest benefit, and you know, I think Pete has a good idea of Alabama's personnel. It's not like they're you know, terribly different on offense than, than where they've been, especially if it's Milrow. And, you know, Pete's seen a lot of Milrow in practice. So um, I think he has an idea of how to match up against their receivers and, you know, how to deal with their running game and offensive line. Like, he knows their personnel. Um, so that could help as well. But, you know, same thing obviously applies in the other direction where Saban knows what Pete Golding wants to run defensively because it's, it's you know, his own system essentially. Uh, speaking of, what, what do you make of Lane Kiffin's comments yesterday about Kevin Steele not calling the uh, Alabama defense, but Traveris Robinson? Yeah, that was uh, the big story of the night, no doubt. It's I, I'm still trying to figure out what to make of that. You know, I think there's, and he, he mentioned the TV copy. I, I think there's a, a legitimate observation on Lane's part. I don't think he's just blowing smoke or making stuff up or kind of trying to cause a distraction. I think legitimately, if you watch the TV copy, and you remember they came out of that lightning delay and ESPN's cameras were static. So they didn't change the camera angle. They didn't flip between camera shots. It was just a shot of Alabama's sideline in between plays on TV. And so you can get a pretty good look of how their operation is going. And, I mean, Travaris Robinson does have a, a, a white play sheet um, in his hand, and he's making signals, and maybe Lane's coaches watching the game saw that. Um, you know, part of me wonders, you know, with Kevin Steele being in the booth this year and you have a USF offense that's, you know, running plays every five or seven seconds, it, it's really tough to have Steele make a play call down to the sideline, get that relay to Deontay Lawson, have Deontay Lawson tell the other players, like, you, you got to have something faster. And so if you're going to have Javaris Robinson on the field, maybe it makes sense for that game specifically to have him just give the call to the defense, get them lined up, and again, it's four or five seconds. You need to get that done. Um, and maybe that's just streamlined for that game. So that could be what he's seeing different. But, you know, I, I think there's certainly, you know, signs of smoke on, on Kevin Steele the first two games, too. You listen to Nick Saban after the Texas game on his on his TV show, he did not sound overly thrilled with the way things were going with Steele and said they were trying to help him transition. Um, so, it, I, again, I, I don't chalk this one up as Lane just trying to cause a distraction. I think there's legitimately something there. It's just to what extent. Was it just for the USF game, or is that going to carry over moving forward? All right, man, I got two more for you before we go. Uh, some some of our listeners in the app want to know, what's up with Ja'Cory Brooks? Yeah, I mean, they've been rotating receivers left and right. I mean, it's it's not just him that hasn't played nearly as much. I mean, they've, they've leaned on Burton and Bond to a greater extent than most. But after that, it's we've seen Brooks, we've seen Prentice. When Kendrick Law was healthy, you know, before his illness, we saw him. We saw Jalen Hale, the freshman in the game. On Saturday, um, it's a pretty fluid position where I think they're just trying to find what works. Um, obviously, you know, Ja'Cory Brooks did not get off to a great start in terms of being suspended for the first half of the opener. Um, has not really seemed to recover to where he's in that spot where he was last year next to Jermaine Burton, but they're still playing him. 
Um, and when you have a quarterback situation like they do, I don't think any of the receivers are going to look good necessarily. Nobody really had good numbers on Saturday. So um, it's a tough position for him his junior year trying to go to the NFL. Right now he's just doing nothing. So if you ask me, you know, well, where is he going to be playing next year? I, I don't think it's going to be Alabama. All right, and finally, and I, I believe uh, you caught some video of Saban coming out uh, from the delay, and he was pretty hot and bothered. He was kind of going after some officials there. Did we ever find out exactly what was going on and what had him so heated? I didn't, no. Um, you know, of all, obviously a lot of questions coming out of that game, and that wasn't uh, sure. top of my list to ask him, but I, I was curious <laughs> myself. Like, it was certainly interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I was just taking video of them coming out of the tunnel to see how they were reacting to come back into the game. And Saban comes out, and he's just, you know, throwing his hands up, talking to the refs. And I don't know if it was related to the delay or some of the mechanics around that um, or if it was about, you know, how things were being called before the delay. I'm, I'm honestly not sure. Um, but it really didn't seem to carry over after that, you know, where you saw more of it. That was kind of isolated to that one moment. Well, we really appreciate you coming aboard. It's a busy time. How can people continue to follow your coverage of all things Alabama? On uh, Bama247.com and on Twitter at Mike Rodak. Great talking to you, Mike. Have a great week. We'll do it again soon. You got it. Thank you. Yep, that's Mike Rodak. You know, the, uh, the similarities to me are striking. Alabama's win over South Florida and what Mike said afterwards, he he almost felt like they lost the game instead of winning, much like that Auburn-California game, the 14-10 game. And I see the fact that Auburn couldn't muster hardly any offense. And you're writing about a game like that, thinking in in your mind, the mindset, because you you win, but yet did you, you know, you won the game obviously on the scoreboard. I'm trying to take away from the win. But the fact of the matter is it almost felt like a loss. We got uh, one final segment. You guys can jump in. I want to thank all the fine folks here at Baumhauer's Victory Grill for having us out here at the Shops of Bel Air for our Monday morning quarterback edition. It's the opening kickoff right here on the sports station, WNSP. Hi, I'm Michael Pierce, NFL defensive tackle. When I'm in the city of Mobile, you can normally find me at WNSP 105.5. of the day. Our thanks to the fine folks here at Baumhauer's at Victory Grill, the shop of Bel Air for coming out, for having us out. And uh, a reminder that if you uh, didn't have a chance to get out here uh, this morning, come on by for lunch. they got a lo- bunch of great lunch specials. Uh, the Inflation Bites menu, they got a wing special. One pound of traditional award-winning wings with your choice of sauce served with curly fries and a complimentary beverage for $9.99. Uh, if lunch isn't doable, come on out for dinner tonight, man. they got the doubleheader, the Monday Night Football doubleheader, which of course we'll be talking about on tomorrow's show also we ought to mention that we will carry the saints tonight starting at six normally Ricchetti's on from six to seven his show has been moved to tomorrow so we'll have the saints kickoffs around six fifteen tonight all right uh he's been a caged animal all morning michael Bronner, give us your take on what you saw in tampa and uh how you see this whole alabama quarterback thing shaking out well uh, Tyler Buckner should never take a snap again. That much is apparent. <laughs> uh, I, that that was.
was the obvious thing. That that's the one thing we all know and can all agree on. Uh like you can say Milrow might give him the best chance to win. If that's the case, then this is an eight and four team anyway. Uh like mate I don't know. I, I would like to see Ty Simpson start a game. I, I don't think that's crazy. I, I mean I don't think it's clear and obvious that Jalen Milrow is the best quarterback on this team. He's like eighty percent of the reason they lost the Texas game. He was terrible in the Texas game. He can't read a defense. Now, if the line really is that bad, then maybe. But if the line is that bad, it's an 8-4 and four team anyway. So I would like to at least see what we have in Ty Simpson. If he's not getting it done, then go back to Jalen Milrow. Uh, I think Simpson has the highest ceiling as a passer. But it is what it is. Uh, the team's just not very good. So, again, I would like to see Ty Simpson start a game. If Jalen Milrow is really the best option, it's because of the issues on the line. And if the issues on the line are really as bad as they were on Saturday, then, you know, the season's cooked anyway. So that's about what I have to say. All right. Stick a fork in them. They're done, mister. Oh, like then, then if he's I, I right, say, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I would like to – I think the issues are somewhat fixable. Like, they're, they're capable of playing better on the line than they showed on Saturday. So that's why I would like to see Ty Simpson play because I think he has the highest ceiling as a passer. But, you know, you know what you're going to get out of Jalen Milrow. You don't know quite what you're going to get out of Ty Simpson. So we'll see. Speaking of uh, seeing, what do, what do you got cooking for tomorrow there, Mr. Uh, Shervain? Well, in, in the uh, first hour, we're going to be talking about the Saints game. Uh with uh, Ross Jackson from Crescent City Sports. He is on the road with the Saints. He'll be getting in touch with us. Uh, Travis Ryer will be on the 7 o'clock hour uh, giving his thoughts on the quarterback position, the offensive line, and the matchup with Ole Miss. And then we'll talk some Auburn football in the uh, 8 o'clock hour with Justin Ferguson. I know you have the day off for personal reasons tomorrow, and uh, Dan Jennings is scheduled to replace you from six to nine tomorrow. Oh, yeah, I forgot I wasn't even going to be here. Yeah, how about that? Oh, yeah, I had to throw a reminder to you. But yeah. if you do decide to come in, there's always a place for you. Uh, okay, uh, fair enough. Uh, so, uh, again, thank the fine folks over here. Come on by and see them here at Baumhauer's Victory Grill at the shops of Bel Air. And also, if you missed any of our uh, conversation today, you can find us wherever you find your favorite podcast. Uh, check out Spotify, WNSP Now. Uh, and get all of the programming here at WNSP. Do you realize that this week you're only going to be in the studio one day? One day. One day. That's right, on Wednesday, because on Thursday and Friday, we're gassing up Air Sports 1 for the Dr. Christopher Monarchs High School Game Day. Another back-to-back. We're going to MGM on uh, Thursday and uh, Sarah Land on Friday. How about that? We're going to take our 5-1 and one record out on the road. Feeling pretty good. Feeling good. Got good offensive line. Chemistry. Quarterback's playing well, making his reads, athletic, versatile. Tell you what, this high school game day, well-oiled machine. All right, for Bronner back at the studios and for Lee Shervaney, I'm Mark Heim. That does it for the Monday morning quarterback from Baumhauer's Victory Grill. And tomorrow, until tomorrow at 6, see ya.